The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, everyone. You are listening to the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world, the late morning program. I'm your host, Nam Ras. I'm here. I'm super excited today because I'm talking to my, my, you know, my newest kind of dear friend. And I don't know if I can call you my friend, Maharaj, but uh, one time when Sanyasi told me, oh, you can't be friends with a Sanyasi. And I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Anyways, uh, His Holiness, uh, BP Padmanabh Maharaj. Thank you, Maharaj, for joining me. Thank you so much, Namaraz, for your invitation. Yeah, so I first met Maharaj, um, for all my listeners, uh, a few weeks ago. He came to New Jersey to do some programs and to uh, have a visit here. And I heard uh, his lectures and, and kind of interacted with him. And, and I really was impressed by his uh, behavior, his speaking. Um, and so I wanted him to come on and share his story and, and a little bit about oh, he's writing a book and kind of all, all these other things. So uh, Maharaj, uh, you know, let's start off with um, your life. I mean, where are you from and, and uh, where did you grow up? And let's start there. Well, I was born in Argentina some 40 years back. Different, difficult to, to say where the whole journey starts because we are traveling across time and so many lifetimes without beginning so it's difficult to say it all began here or there but i met the the Vaishnavs at when i was like 20 years 19 years actually to be more precise after a very deep strong existential crisis as a teenager and really looking for for meaning and purpose in life and trying and searching in different traditions and well eventually i i got to connect with go the Vaishnavism when I was 19, so I joined very quickly to be to make a long story short for sure. Uh, the ashram when I was 19 and lived there as a brahmachari for nine years and then I received the order of sannyas like maybe 12 years back or something. Wow, wow. Yeah, you, you know, um, I wrote that you're a young sannyasi and and sometimes it's, it seems like that could be an oxymoron in, in uh, it, it, sometimes you know we when we think in ISKCON at least in the context it's like when we think of sannyasi it's a it's a you know an old, much older person so uh, it's it's always really refreshing to meet someone who's young and who's taken on the renounced order uh, and you said you t- took twelve years ago wow it's really amazing mm-hmm. um, so let's talk a little bit about the topic here about um, the the title rather uh, Vaishnava controversies revisited so let's talk. A little bit about controversy because controversy it seems like it's always a bad thing <laughs> yeah actually it is not at all it's a really necessary ingredient of our daily nourishment uh, and of course to begin with i also appreciate your invitation and, and the fact that you are engaged in this service of sharing so many important thoughts amongst the community and promoting critical thinking, I would say, amongst the practitioners. And today's topic is quite connected with all this, because not only for me it's important to go to some specific controversies and how to deal with them, but also revisiting the very notion of, of controversy and how it should be ideally play out you know, in our Gaudiya society. Because as you say, sometimes the idea of controversy may be seen as 
uh, unbecoming, undesirable, something negative, something to avoid. There's some problem there, but you better look in another direction. But actually, controversy actually means challenge, change of perspective, growth, maturity, and of course, some comfort zone side inside of inside of us may not like that side. But actually, controversy is really required for for our growth, for our maturity. Implies harmonizing, implies uh, improvement. It's similar to words like crisis, not that sometimes we may feel, oh, I don't want crisis, but actually crisis makes like big breakthrough portals, entry points to further development or difficult. The word difficult sometimes is seen as unbecoming, but actually difficult is the middle point between something easy and something impossible. Mm-hmm. Something easy is boring, something impossible is discouraging, something difficult is the necessary middle point. <laughs> Sometimes in Gaudiya society, the word controversy may sound as something negative, or sometimes the word controversy may be attractive for some by the wrong reasons, because they may feel, oh, some interesting thing will happen. There's controversy in the context of gossip, if you will. Right, right. Yeah. But in our tradition, gossip is not promoted. Mahaprabhu, we know, say to Raghunadas Swami, actually to ask Ramya Katana, Sunivi, Ramya Bharata, do not speak gossip, do not hear gossip. So the very the main difference between gossip and controversy, I will say that gossip is like controversy for the sake of controversy. <laughs> and real controversy, if you will, healthy controversies for the sake of enlightenment and growth. Mm-hmm. So this late the latter controversy is instructing, is deep, is committed to an ideal of progress. And the other one, the gossip like will be mostly like degrading and superficial, evasive. And of course, when we go through the properly through the circles of fire of controversy, we will reach the ultimate destiny of Gaudiya Vedanta, which is Vrindavan. And we will find so much gossip in Vrindavan in the sense of <laughs> what Krishna village talks, intrigue, groups, divisions. Radha has her Swapaksha group. There is opposing parties, Bipaksha. But all this is in the context of the Lila. And to reach there, first we have to embrace, I will say, healthy controversy. So... Mm. So regarding today's topic, how that came to mind, in one sense, it's connected to <clears throat> my recent visit there, visit there to New Jersey and New York that we get to meet each other first time. And I was speaking, I remember, with Kula Pradeep Prabhu and also another moment with Vasudev Prabhu in Bhakti Center. I were really speaking about how important and how nice it would be to have in our Gaudiya communities like a culture of debate, a culture of promoting healthy controversy, healthy dialogue healthy, a debate club, if, if you wish. Mm. <laughs> and I was remembering some series of uh, debates that were organized but in a secular context, but Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, who one is the famous clinical psychologist, theistic one, and the other one is one of the main atheistic persons in the world. They were filling arenas, whole arenas. They were just two people seated and debating and having healthy controversy. Like, And people are really being interested in seeing two thinking people together and seeing how they can agree that they disagree, if you will. So, yeah, for me, controversy implies like dealing with uh, apparent opposing things and addressing this classical duality that sometimes is fragmenting our, our consciousness and is creating this division where we think in terms of good, bad, happy, sad, black and white, and learn to integrate, to, to achieve a higher synthesis. For me, it's, that's really connected to the idea of becoming progressive 
Vaishnavs. My, my guru Marashila Tripurari Maharaj spoke recently about progressive Vaishnavism. So this has to do a lot with becoming Madhyam Bhaktas, intermediate devotees who are concerned with progressive mentality. Again, what, what, what I like to term uh, integration of complexity, because so much complexity comes on our way. And that's not to be rejected, that's not to be dismissed, but it's to be embraced and integrated into a higher version, upgraded. For me, that's the meaning of transcendence. To be transcendental doesn't mean to reject or dismiss anything, but to integrate in, in a higher synthesis. When you, mean complex, when you mean complexities, what do you mean? Oh, complexity means I don't refer to something specifically that is inherently complex, but that results complex for us, something that represents a challenge that we are not able to fully accommodate, but mm -hmm. we need to in order to grow. So for me, that's all to, it has all to do to be a Madhyam. A Madhyam is a practitioner who is concerned with making progress in contrast with the Kanista or a beginner's practitioner who is not so much yet aware of that, which is okay. I'm not condemning a Kanista Bhakta. All of us mostly need to be beginners at one point. We need to be babies and, and, and need to, to urinate on ourselves is <laughs> <laughs> part of life, but if or, or we need to drink breast milk from our mother. But if I go to my mom now being an adult and say, please, I want to drink breast milk again, she will say, that was such a nice time, but no longer is, is healthy now. Right. <laughs> Similarly, one thing is to be a Kanishta. There's place for that. But another thing is to remain a Kanishta when the time for growing has come. So, And if we insist on remaining neophytes, there is some, some considerable dangers there because, because a Kanista is, re retains a black and white conception, sometimes relatively considerably material conception. The Bhagavatam refers to that devotee as Prakrita Bhakta, which sounds like an oxymoron, like materialistic devotee, if you will, with these ideas of right and wrong, only one possibility must be correct. Either my guru is right, then the other guru is bogus, if you will, or if the other right. guru is right, then my guru must be bogus, or since my guru is always right, then other gurus are bogus or something like this. Uh, so I will say that someone who has that type of mentality without bad intention, that person for sure, but that person is not ready to tolerate or to accept maybe my guru or some sadhu was mistaken. I cannot accommodate that. So we could say that person is not ready to offer unconditional service. To that person because if i only serve you if you are perfect that's conditional service if i serve you despite if i love you despite your imperfections that un that's unconditional love and that's the type of love we are receiving from sri guru sri guru is, is loving us unconditionally so we should be willing to reciprocate on those same terms of course we are in different situations with our sri guru but the unconditional side must be there do, do follow my point if, if i just can cannot accept the other person must be mistaken. I only love you if he's perfect. We are kind of yeah. of moving with the same materialistic mentality that prevails in this world. In this world, you have to be perfect in order to be loved. If mm. you <laughs> now, if you are perfect, someone will love you. So we try to be perfect. Sometimes we project that to a spiritual life and, okay, the sadhu is perfect, the guru is perfect, so now I can love and serve. And if some mistake on some level, of course, the sadhu is fully surrendered, in that sense, it's not mistaken, he or she. But in a relative level, there may be some imperfection. Like if the guru pronounced some word wrongly, it's not that you have to change the dictionary because for sure, my guru is always correct in every single sense. <laughs> so sometimes some acknowledgement of that can, can be there. 
So it's not black and white. That's my point. Sometimes one yeah. devotee may feel, I don't know, Krishna wants this. <laughs> and some other devotee may feel, Krishna wants that. And of course, the reply to that is Krishna wants both things and more. <laughs> mm. There's room. So, There's so you're, room. Saying, you're saying that controversy is important because we can't continue to stay on a, on a Kanishta platform where there's duality in black and white. Mm -hmm. There has to be a kind of understanding that there's room for, you're saying that there's room for different viewpoints. Yeah, I will say if we, if we continue with the analogy of colors, we, there is room for gray, I will say, between black and white. In the beginning, we will think in those terms. It's black and white. He's a karmi. He's a devotee. He's a Maya. He's transcendental. But there is so much nuance in between. That's how life works. So ideally, a, a progressive Vaishnava should look for the gray, if you will, in terms of coloring everything. We know that between black and white, there is to say that there are 256 sh shades of gray. Mm -hmm. As if mm -hmm. we want to think in, in terms of material life is the dark black <laughs> and the pure mm -hmm. white is... Highest, our highest spiritual prospect. Okay, between the two, there are so many shades of gray, hmm? and we should be able to pass through them, to go through those stages. And each one of those chapters will beg up from us to resolve so many apparent contradictions along the way. You know, I remember once I wrote even an article of, on the importance of gray and how gray should become our favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> In this sense, sometimes you, you can you think about it. For example, gray is connected to the idea of getting old you know, regarding the hair, getting mm -hmm. gray. But actually, it doesn't mean just to getting old, but ideally to getting mature, in maturity, to become real adults. I mean, we need to become real spiritual adults. It's not just being carrying members of something and showing how long I was initiated and that's why I'm senior devotee or whatever. So this gray for me represents like the exact middle point between black and white and, and the middle path bhakti is, is the middle path mm? the, the bhagavatam says the same idea you will attain perfection in bhakti if you are not too detached and not too attached in this world because if you are too detached you won't be able to engage everything in bhakti and if you are too attached to this world <laughs> you won't be able to see this world as potential paraphernalia in the service of krishna so try to remain the middle path mm? Mm. But again, Kanishta, yeah, Srila, I remember Srila Bhaktivedanta Goswami Maharaj. Uh, he will say, my Paranguru Dev, that the Kanishta section, and again, we are not demonizing Kanishta Bhaktas, it's, it's glorious in one sense. It's, you are already on the Bhakti path, so that's glorious, but that's not the ultimate goal. So we should understand there's place for improvement. So he will say that the Kanishta sections is generally kept outside of the area of controversy because they could be easily confused. They don't have yet the capacity to deal with that. So ideally, a Madhyam Bhakta can engage in controversy, in debate, and by his, her example, gradually try to instruct the Kanishta section, if you will. The Kanishta should learn and grow by hearing the exchanges between mature, progressive Vaishnavas. Because uh, when those contradictions are not properly solved by a progressive Vaishnava, then they will give rise to real contradictions, if you will, <laughs> to real problems, if you will, which generally may imply in forms of, of, of deviation and because they may be based on an artist and prejudice. Can you give an yeah. example of that? Um, for example, if I, 
yeah, I have some. I, I will. I was. I will give some examples also in some minutes when we continue with some topics. But my point is, let's say that I I have my idea that my guru is the best guru in the whole world, and I and I how to say and I play out that I and mean, it's okay. I mean, it's nice that you subjectively speaking feel my guru is the best guru for me. Right. The problem is when I start to impose that on others, and everyone else should be taking shelter in my guru there. So that represents an uh, emotion without the backing of Shastra. So you, right. your emotion is taking too much. No, it, it, that's the difference between a Kanishta and a Madhyam. A Kanishta will see Shastra through the lens of their emotions, and a Madhyam will see their emotions through the lens of Shastra. Oh my goodness, repeat, say, say that again. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> A beginner's practitioner will see Shastra, the scripture, yeah. the, the revealed message, through the filter of their emotions. Right. So, and a Madhyam, a progressive Vaishnava, will see their emotions, whatever is going on there, filter that through the lens of Shastra. Wow, I really like that. That's, that's okay. a great point. Yeah, it's easier said than done, but yeah, they did. Sure. <laughs> so, the point is that if we do not have the type of discipline, we may interpret revelation, interpret whatever Guru said according to our own emotional waves, if you will, and that will take to unbecoming results. So, so again, for me, it's important to, in order to avoid that and to create this culture of debate, to, to, to hold some sacred, healthy space for, for controversy, for debate, debate and dealing openly with controversy, not as a problem, not as gossip, but as deep, I don't know, dialogue, deep communication. Actually, deep communication, deep dialogue is basically has to do with showing some disposition to an interest in knowing others' perspective also. That's important. I'm interested yeah. in what's your view. I'm interested in hearing you, in knowing you, and, and, and to see if I can include that vision, that view in my own life. It's not just I have the absolute truth that I have the, all the magical formulas and that's all. But of course, if those perspectives are also wide and they're ready to, to dialogue and to hear each other, because if you are not willing to hear me, there's no dialogue to begin with. There's only a, a monologue. <laughs> yeah. So communication basically, and communication as you may know is it's also like foundational to, to the notion of community. You can't have community without communication. And, and substantial co communication without real dialogue is, is difficult. So a culture of debates for me is representing a healthy exchange in, in that regard. You may, you may have heard about these three types of conversation mentioned in, in the Vedic tradition, Bada, Jalpa, and Bitanda. That's brief words for me, it's important. Bottom is a, a sattvic conversation, at least to begin with, where both parties are interested in truth, in knowing, in, 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 in letting truth defeat us. Not I want to defeat you in debate or something, but let truth be the victor here. So that's bada, in sattva, if you will. Both of us are hearing, both of us have no separate agenda. Then you have jalpa, which is a rajasic conversation with I'm hearing you, but I'm just waiting for my turn to present my points. And eventually, <laughs> I'm not interested in learning and hearing you, basically. And bitanda is even worse. It's tamasic, and I'm just jumping on your neck and not allowing you to speak, basically. I'm just shouting and imposing my topics on your head, and there's no conversation whatsoever. So all this have to do to create a culture of bada or some bad, sometimes called, 
uh, in West in Western tradition, we have the Socratic dialogue. The same thing that people engage in conversation, trying to invoke some epiphany, and both parties are ready to to embrace that. And, and that has a lot to do with getting learning to get along with each other as well, because it means hearing, hearing to each other means getting along to each other. If I told you I'm not interested in hearing you, basically I'm saying I don't care about you. And for me, getting learning to get along with each other as individuals in the context of community, that's one of the most necessary and uh, main services we are to offer. That's an important, generally this is not seen as seva, a service, to have a good relationship with others. It's just like, something there but we may not even think about that but for me to 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 have a good relationship with other Vaishnavs is one of the most important offerings i can present to my guru for example wow. sometimes you think, oh, guru devis come and let's offer some dakshina some donation we distribute this number of books we open this many temples which is okay no problem <laughs> but it's nice to say oh, oh this devotee have off made the best possible effort to have good relationships all this year. Oh, that's great. That's Sadhu Sangha. That's, that's Bhakti. Yeah. <laughs> so our mm -hmm. routes may be nice, no? uh, our different aspects of Sadhana may be nice, but if we don't get to get along with each other, that also will, will be speaking loudly about our practice. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we have nice dealings with other religions, but we don't know how to get along with our own peers. <laughs> yeah. Or with other Gaudiya groups. But first, let's begin at home with our God's brothers, God's sisters. So I think this is an important point. And it's all connected with this idea of, of dialogue and debate. So, so before, yeah. before you get into that, yeah, I just want to re reiterate that point you made as an offering to our gurus, we can have good relations with each other. That's that's an amazing point. And so, like you were saying, it's so actually like, it's not like something tangible. It's like something very, in some ways abstract, but it's actually super important. Yeah, yeah generally the most invisible things are, are the most important. And, and, and the ones that right. will be appreciated by, by those who are essentialists those who are paragraphy-like in terms of Bhakti Notagur essence seekers. In, in other levels, we may be more drawn to numbers, if you will. Again, he collected this money, he distributed these books, he opened this number, numbers, numbers, which is okay again. But the, there has to be a substance behind the number. So if you say, I have off, I, uh, this devotee was engaged in good relationships all these 20 years, oh my God, that's, I mean, Guru will be really pleased. A real sadhu will always pleased to, to hear about that. That's so yeah. special, so important. And we, we may miss the point. So, yeah, it's important. And all this we are speaking here is in order to nourish our sadhu sangha, not to create conflicts or problems. Basically. Yes. Before we get into the controversy that we're going to discuss today, um, I wanted to talk a little bit. I wanted to ask you a question regarding dialogue. Now, when you have dialogue or debate, there needs to be there needs to be a foundation where, well, like the foundation of pramana has to be there. Like we all agree on certain thing and then we build upon that, like our, our side, so to say. So what, what, what do you do when the actual pramana is not agreeable? Like you don't agree on, okay, someone may say that, um, you know, Srimad Bhagavatam is the pramana and someone may say that, uh, I don't know, Srila Prabhupada letters are the pramana mm. or, purports of the pramana you know what I, you know what i'm saying 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So how can you have a healthy dialogue mm -hmm. or how can you have a dialogue where the, the, you don't agree on even the, the basic foundation? Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So yeah, and, and this takes the conversation in a more specific point, which I agree because we can speak about harmonizing controversy on many levels, but today I, I was thinking mostly to deal with how to deal with controversy in the realm of Siddhanta, which is quite connected to what you say. And of course, the first thing that comes to mind is this famous word from Chaitanya Charitamrita, Siddhanta Valiya Chitta Nakara Las Yahagya Krishna Lagasutrida Manash, where Krishna Daskara say, you should try to consider Siddhanta, do not neglect these conclusions. And he said, Nakara Las, do not be lazy, he says, <laughs> because he knows we are lazy, <laughs> we want to avoid controversy, in other words. And by doing this, Krishna, your mind will be strengthened and Krishna will be more fixed there. And very interestingly, Srila Prabhupada, in his translation to this verse, he will say, a sincere student won't neglect these discussions, considering them controversial. The, the word controversy is not in the verse, but he inserts his insight there, trying mm -hmm. to apply a sincere student will embrace controversy uh, because it strengthens the mind in the proper context, even more specifically, and I'm just going to the point, your point of Pramana, I just wanted to introduce with this. Rupa Goswami also mentions in his Lagu Bhagavatamrita, for example, when two scriptural statements seemingly contradict each other, one shouldn't take one as inauthentic and take preference in other and just cherry pick the one I like the most, if you will. He says, well, you should try to understand the meaning in such a way that contradiction is resolved. So one should embrace, in other words, controversy and solve, solve the puzzle, uh, which has to do a lot with, yeah, with pramana and which enter into the realm of complexity. And again, integration of complexity, which is, I know it's thorny. It's a thorny topic. It may be complex. <laughs> it's not an easy going thing. No, but but the point, if you want to get the rose, you have to go through the thorns first. <laughs> if you want to get the rose of Siddhanta or perfect conclusions, and we need perfect conclusions to engage in perfect practice to obtain a perfect fruit, Sambanda Bideya Prayojan. So first we need to get through some thorny sections and learn how to harmonize them. Because one point for me is that before, if we want harmony without having to harmonize ourselves, that's not fair. That's a form even of sahajism, I will say, or wanting things easier and cheaper than what they actually are. So if we are really sincere, as Prabhupada will say, sincere students, we won't neglect those controversial, thorny topics, but we will be willing to pay whatever price is there. What do you mean by like, what do you mean by harmonize ourselves? Like the point is, sometimes we may say, I would like to have harmony in my life. I would like to, yeah. to har but the point is, you have yourself to engage in the exercise of harmonizing certain things. Oh, I see, I see, okay. That was the point. Sorry if I was not grammatical. No, 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 I, I, no, it was right. I, I just wanted to turn it a little more. So yeah, we have to act in, in, the, in the verb of harmony, if you will, harmonize in our practice so it's not going to happen automatically you have to actually like kind of yeah. go through some you know uh whatever thoughts activities certain to, to harmonize whatever mm -hmm. you're trying to mm -hmm. yeah i see okay so, so going to your point of, of pramana uh, i think it's it's quite important there we have pramana just in case for those who are 
do not familiar with the term, Brahmana means like a source of knowledge, has to do with epistemology. Actually, the very first chapter of, of my forthcoming book has to do with that, the need of epistemic hierarchy or epistemological hierarchy, or to establish properly where is the order, where is the means to get knowledge. Epistemology means how do I know what I know? There's Pramana and there's Prameya. Prameya is that which is to be established through Pramana. So sometimes, uh, unfortunately, in, in nowadays Gaudiya community, there is some tendency to, to go straight to Prameya without first establishing properly Pramana and trying to, to conclude about some topic without first analyzing which will be the, the hierarchy of epistemology, which will be our authority first. So <clears throat> I will say to begin with, which is something important, is that the ver to, ver to verify philosophical conclusion, one as is to determine that in conformity to Guru, Shastra, and Sadhu. So we have these three points, Guru, Shastra, and Sadhu, but the point is that without Shastra, we cannot even know what's Guru and what's Sadhu. So it is said that actually of the three, uh, Shastra is supreme. <clears throat> So to begin with, that's an important thing to establish. And let me share, <clears throat> I found the other day, I rediscovered one quote from Sila Prabhupada in Chaitanya Charitamrita. If you allow me to read one, a few words from his purport to uh, verse, just in case for those who would like to find. It's uh, Madhya Lila, chapter 12, verse uh, 352. So Prabhupada says there, one should accept a thing as genuine by studying the words of saintly people, the spiritual master and the Shastra, Guru Shastra and Sadhu. The actual center is the Shastra, the revealed scripture. If a spiritual master does not speak according to the revealed scripture, he is not to be accepted. Similarly, if a saintly person does not speak accordingly to the Shastra, he is not a saintly person. The Shastra is the center for all. Unfortunately, at the present moment, people do not refer to the Shastras. So for me, that's why crystal clear, I will say, in that connection. So to begin with, Shastra is our common praman. That in part replies to, to your question. It's not so much, well, this guru said this, that guru said that, he said that in a letter, in a morning walk, in a lecture, but how much whatever the sadhu or the charis conforms to Shastra. Right. Shastra is our common praman in the Gaudiya Sampradaya, not whatever individual uh, has said. So the, the latter example will be basically apasiddhanta, strictly speaking. And, 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 and if you put too much apasiddhanta together, that may create apasampradaya. And sometimes too much of those two things together may create aparat. So that's a delicate circle. Apa Siddhanta, Apa Sampradaya, Apara, Apa, Apa, Apa. <laughs> and in connection to Shastra, generally many other Sampradayas, they <clears throat> base themselves on what's called Prasthana Trayi, which is the Vedanta Sutra, the Upanishads, Ten Main Upanishads, and the Bhagavad Gita. They take these three as their main praman. But interestingly, in our Gaudiya Sampradaya, the main praman is the Srimad Bhagavatam. And the extension of the Srimad Bhagavatam in the form of the Goswami Grant or the books of the six Goswamis. This has been clearly established in Basila Jiva Goswami <clears throat> in the Pramana Kanda section of his Tattva Sandarbha, the, the first of the six Sandarbhas. He's clearly established their epistemology and how the Srimad Bhagavatam is the most complete form of revelation for us Gaudis. Mahaprabhu himself embraced the Bhagavatam in that light. 
So for us, God that he establishes there, the devout and his pramana shiromani, or the crest jewel of all evidence. So we are to refer to the Bhagavatam as the half around which all the sacred revealed texts circle around. And the books of the Goswamis occupy <clears throat> a very similar place because if not, if not more important even, because they are extensions of the content of the Bhagavatam. All the books of the Goswami, Bhaktivasamrita, Sindhu, Rihad Bhagavatamrita, Satsandharvas, this main book, all of them explain to us how we go this embrace, understand hmm, what the Bhagavatam is saying. Hmm. So that will be an important point in this connection. So we should try to <clears throat> find a common point in this connection because, uh, how to say, we we are one in Sidan. In Tattva, we should be one. We have Tattva Vichar and Rasa Vichar, Tattva and Bhava. So we should be one in Tattva, in Siddhanta, and, and that oneness will give rise to difference in bhava, in, in sentiment, emotions, mm. because all of us belong to one family in one sense, be, be, beyond, besides different nations and institutions, all of us belong to the, let's say, Gaur Paribar, or the family of Mahaprabhu, to put it in a, in a broad way, yeah. to the Odia Sampradaya. So what's a Sampradaya? That's the point. The very meaning of the term says it all. Sampradaya. Pradaya means to give profusely, and some means fully. So some Sampradaya is a school of thought that is giving fully something. What is that something that which characterizes a sampradaya, which is a particular siddhanta? Now, each sampradaya will have its own siddhanta. So what makes a sampradaya a siddhanta? So sampradaya means to give fully a siddhanta. So we are one in siddhanta. That's what makes us member of one same uh, family, one same sampradaya. And so we are members of Gaudiya sampradaya, means we share a common siddhanta. So, if there are still certain differences in terms of Siddhanta among the members of, of the same Sampradaya, it means that we need to dial, we need to speak, we need to, because we may try to get together on so many other different levels, on a social level, more emotional level, but if we are not having dialogue in, in how to, again, harmonize, embrace this controversy, there will be some fracture in our Siddhantic uh, unity. And that may mm. affect how, how we deal with the diversity that should embellish our lineage. Because there has to be unity as a foundation and that will give place to, to diversity, proper diversity. If, if a difference is, one, one devotee once said that, I like this idea. If, if a difference arises out of the unity of Siddhanta, that difference should be celebrated. That differences should be, that diversity should be honored. Mm -hmm. So we can have differences in terms of uh, abhideya or the practice, different angas of bhakti. Some devotees may have more inclination to one than others. There can be differences in, in prayojan even. Some devotees will may have ultimately affinity, let's say, towards madhurya bhav, some others toward sakya bhav. There is place for that in the Gaudiya Sampradaya. That's another whole topic. Yes. <laughs> and devotees may feel... No, there is only one possibility in the ultimate goal, and, and that's what I coined the term racism. Uh, in that case, we are it's not racism, but racism, you are being racist <laughs> in the context of rasa. Mm. <laughs> racism. Is, yeah, racism. So there is there can be differences in Avideya and in Prayojan, but in terms of Sambanda or conceptual orientation, Tatwa, Siddhanta, ideally we should be one. So that oneness, that unity will allow 
the, the healthy, healthy diversity in terms of Avidea and Preogen. So in some ways, in in some ways we are sort of one, but there's like little things that really kind of are a thorn in our, <laughs> our side when it comes to things that we can't, some devotees can't agree on. Mm -hmm. And maybe yeah. this is a good time to go into what the what about your book and about the topic that we want to. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I, of course, I'm not saying that we are not one in any single sense and there is total difference and conflict, but I think that yeah. the oneness can become even more one, if you will. We can continue right. increasing the harmony and the unity and the place for diversity and so on. And so Sambanda, again, is sometimes Sankirtan. The very term Sankirtan means Sambanda Kirtan, Sankirtan. So our Kirtan, which is Abhideya, should be sustained by by pro unified Sambanda, if you will. And that will give nice place to, again, to Abhideya, to Prayojan. Mm -hmm. And sometimes mm -hmm. we may get together, we may share Kirtan, we may share Harikata, if you will. But sometimes, and that, that happened to me, <laughs> sometimes I've, I've been invited to share Harikata, but I have been told, Mara, do not speak about this and this topic, which is controversial. Oh, really? And I was like, I'm okay, I'm not coming to look for problems, but also I'm being like censored to speak uh, about certain things so how and i've tried and i've tried to to have an interaction with different devotees and of course i have very very nice interaction in some cases but in other cases I've, some devotees were not willing to speak even they have maybe insulted me or, or blocked me from their social media i don't want to play the victim either but to not to blame them but i don't know i remember one example of course i won't give any name but i spoke with one sannyasi uh, Acharya, so he wrote a book about certain particular point of our Siddhanta. And he sent me the book and I said, Maharaj, will be willing to hear some thoughts I may have? So yes. So I sent and maybe I was too overwhelming. I replied with 20 pages of, or, or points, almost 108 points. <laughs> maybe I, I should have sent just one main point and start a conversation there. So I recognized it was a bit overwhelming. <laughs> But I sent two, 20 pages and he replied to me with maybe less than a paragraph. And, and his reply was mostly, well, my guru is, agrees with my stance and he's a pure devotee and your guru is not. So I was like, okay, this is, this is all you have to say to what I share with you, trying to be respectful. Right. And he was basically telling me, my dad is the best dad in the world, not yours. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is the way that we are ready to engage in debate and dialogue. I was shocked and I was sad. Mm -hmm. I was yeah. sad. So for yeah. me, it's important to learn to not be fundamentalist, not to be fanatic. And because if we engage in that type of intense view, that's evasive. That's a form of even, yeah, it's not fostering unity among the, the Vaishnava community. And, and we may be sentimental and overtly emotional. And we are not still solving that thing that still has, under the carpet, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's unfortunate that, about that um, situation. But let's talk a little bit about your book and about um, what that's about. Mm -hmm. Okay, about my book. <laughs> so the book is <clears throat> it's yet to be published. Yet it's on its way, forthcoming. So it will be named uh, Inherent or Inherited. That's the title, and the subtitle will be Bhakti in the Jiva according to, to Gaudiya Vedanta. 
So this is my, my first book. <clears throat> I always like to, to write, but I was never thinking about publishing a book till recently, and, and it was not my plan even in this case. And I have learned so much uh, by going through the process of writing a book. So many things I, I didn't know really. It was like like going through labor. I, I'm sannyasi, so if I keep my vows, I will never have biological children. But <laughs> but to write the book was kind of going through all these stages of gestation, conceiving, and giving birth, and all that comes after, and all the messiness of it and whatever. <laughs> so it was really interesting, and, and I was really blessed to have the contribution of many like peer, to have peer review of other Vaishnavs, even from different party bars, not only uh, God brothers and God sisters, but also like Prabhupada disciples, members from the Beta party bar, members from the other party bars who shared the views, even who shared the Purva Pakshin view, like the view of the opposing side, people who were not agreeing with me, but we were able to engage in this dialogue. And I will say uh -huh. at, the, at the present moment, uh, my Guru Maharaj is, is editing the book. So that's a very interesting experience also for me. It's an, it's, on, it's an honor to begin with. Of course, I don't feel it's my book. It's my attempt to, to, to please my Guru Maharaj. And it's his book in that sense. And he's editing that. And, and these days I was thinking, by his editing my book, he's kind of editing myself. I, I was thinking that <laughs> I think that parallel. Like my Guru is the, guru is the editor-in-chief. And we as disciples are, are to allow ourselves to be to be edited, if you will. Mm. My book is an extension of me where I put my thoughts, my feelings, my ideas. And the guru will come and say, Maras, this half chapter is not correct. You have to throw it out. <laughs> and I may be attached to that. Oh, that was my favorite section. But he's telling me that this is not worthy. And, and I have to allow myself to be corrected and verified by my guru dev. So in that sense, he was... He's very lovingly engaged in this editing work, and it's, I feel it's, he's editing myself. So it's a whole nice exercise of, of surrender. So I feel really uh, indebted to the contribution of so many people to the point that I don't feel it's my my book any longer, if you will. I'm part mm -hmm. of the audience, if you will. So be beyond the, the main topic, that is whether bhakti is inherent or not in the jiva, also I wrote the book, let's say as an, what we may call an open letter to the worldwide uh, Gaudiya community. Because as I mentioned, I feel there is an urgent need for a conversation and, and the Gaudiya community is an urgent need for a conversation with itself, if you will. <laughs> and also to, to promote like ample, like wide room for theological thought and to transcend certain, what we, I will call tribal thinking or cognitive rigidity that sometimes it's characterizing up the approach of the of the beginner of the canista. So how to grow beyond that? So regarding the topic in itself, also I must say that some years back I was thinking different than I think now. I had another, I reached another conclusion years back. So that for me also is important to to share, if you will, as part of my story. You know? Like it's not that. I always thought the same thing. I, I, I recognize I thought something, and now I understand the conclusion was different. So I, I'm willing to change, basically. You know, when, when the opportunity presents itself, it's important that, as Sir Maras will say, we are students forever. So yeah. it's important to remain open to further enlightenment and, and education. So, so actually, originally, I, I wrote some, I think, 11 articles that were published in one website called The Harmonist, harmonist.us. 
US, and they were about this topic. So I initially I thought I will keep it there. There were some articles, but the devotees were suggesting, oh, this is very nice. Try to make this a book. <clears throat> and I had another book in mind to write at that time. So that's waiting. Let's see if that happens someday. So I asked my Guru Mahesh, what do you think? May I do this as a service and offering for the Gaudiya community? And he said, yes. So I think when he gave the, gave the blessing for that, the whole dynamics activated because I made these 11 articles. I thought, okay, I will make a different chapter with each one of the articles and that will be the book. But so many other things came. So I started to do some research and I thought, well, I may get some little, some few quotes here and there about the topic, but I found so much information along Shastra about this topic and, and how all these quotes and revelations, they were in agreement with each other. There was full consensus in Shastra. And eventually the book ended up being four times longer than the original <laughs> article. So the book may have, let's see how much, how much my Guru Master keeps editing it. <laughs> but I think it may have like 400 pages or so. So interestingly, I found full consensus in Shastra about that. But I tried to, <clears throat> to strengthen my, my presentation, trying to contemplate possible arguments like the opposing views. This is the classical stages in Vedic debate. You have Vishaya, Samsaya, Purva, Paksha, Siddhanta, and Sangati. You present a topic, some doubts are raised, some opposing views are raised. There you reach the final conclusion, then you have to Sangati, reconcile that with whatever other things may seem to be different, say, here and there. So I try to go into this. There's called Sastuna Nikkanana Nyaya, which is the logic of pounding the post. Like I will contemplate the opposing views and try to, in a, hopefully in a gentle, humble way, refute them. <laughs> and there I will make my point even more comprehensive. And I, I try to do that because I've seen some other presentations, even in connection to this book, that were not too much uh, in that light, that just try to show something and saying, this is the Siddhanta, everyone is saying the same, there is full consensus on that. And I knew this is not like that, there is no full consensus in that. There has been different things have been said along history. So it's important to, again, try to, to harmonize that basically. So, so, yeah. the, con so the, the controversy or the, the point being, which is the title of the book, Inherent or Inherited, is Bhakti Inherent in the, G in the Jiva. Mm -hmm. So what yeah. we've been taught in ISKCON is, not that we've been taught it, but what we read is that um, bhakti is there inherent and we just have to uncover it, <clears throat> right? Is that, is, that the, is that one of the points? <clears throat> well, let's go to what Shastra says about that, yeah. Let's go okay. to the, the Shastra conclusion of the topic and maybe if you want, then we can also analyze uh, yeah. other different views so what has been said maybe even in contemporary times but going back to whether bhakti is inherent or not the conclusion having established first as you say the praman or as Gaudias, which is shastra and, and, and in context of shastra bhagavatam the books of the goswamis having that clear first when we go there and see if bhakti is inherent or not we will find unanimously that bhakti is not inherent in the jiva that the, the jiva is a whole categorically different shakti than bhakti. Bhakti is the essence of the swarup shakti. Swarup shakti is one of the three main shaktis of Bhagavan. We have maya shakti, swarup shakti, 
and Jiva Shakti or Tathasta Shakti. So Jiva Shakti is categorically different, categorically different Shakti from Sarup Shakti or Bhakti Shakti, another way of speaking. But of course, we as Shivas have the potential to imbibe Bhakti in our lives in the context of Sadhu Sangha. It is said that Bhakti comes to our lives through Sadhu Sangha. Bhakti comes from the Bhakta. Bhakti, Sadhu Sangha is Bhakti, basically. It's one of the limbs of Bhakti. Shraddha, Sadhu Sangha, Nartani, Bhriti, etc. Vajana Kriya. So the Bhagavatam says this, gives this idea, Bhaktiya Sanjataya Bhaktiya, which means Bhakti comes from Bhakti and Bhakti produces further Bhakti. It's another way to say Bhakti comes from Bhakti means Bhakti comes from the Bhakta. Bhakti comes from the devotee, from that who has Bhakti. Chaitanya Charitamrita makes the same point. Krishna Bhakti Janmamol Hai Sadhu Sangha. Krishna Bhakti Janmamol, the root cause of the birth of Krishna Bhakti, Hai Sadhu Sangha, is Sadhu Sangha. So, of course, I don't want to overwhelm you nor the audience with unending quotes to this effect. There are many. I, I shared hundreds in the book. But you will, if you allow me, I can share some few ones to, to make more sense of this. For example, very famous sections in the, in the scriptures. Mahaprabhu himself, he's, he's described in Chaitanya Charitamrita's Data Shiromani, of the crestules of all givers. And why? Because he was giving. Giving, if it means if someone is giving me, it means I don't have it. And <laughs> I have a flaw. Famous verse that offer pranam to Mahaprabhu, composed by Rupa Goswami, quoted by Krishna Das Kaviras, Anarpita Charim Chirat Karunayava Tirnakala, Samarpaitum Unnatas Palarasan Sohakti Shriyam. These two first lines of the verse say Anarpita and then say Samarpita. Anarpita means that which has not been given for a long time, Samarpita. Now is being fully given by Mahaprabhu. And of course, what's that being given? A particular type of Bhakti, a particular type of prem, rasa, and so on. So he's giving that, he's distributing his gift freely, actually. It is said that Mahap, I mean, try to think, was Mahaprabhu an elitist? No, for sure, no. <laughs> so mm -hmm. he distributed his gift freely. The point is, every jiva is eligible to receive the mercy of Mahaprabhu, not only a few chosen and predetermined ones, because if Bhakti is inherent, it means Sanjivas will have Ram Bhakti. Vishnu Bhakti, Krishna Bhakti, because Bhakti is not an abstraction, an energetic abstraction. It's specific. Which type of Bhakti? Ram Bhakti, Krishna Bhakti. But we say Mahaprabhu is giving this to everyone. Chaitanya Charitamrita also speaks in terms of Mahaprabhu broke the storehouse of rasa and gave that. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, you find the word dana over and over again. Dana. Dana means gift. Gift. Chaitanya Bhagavat the same, and in Brihad Bhagavat Tamrita, Bhaktira Samrita Sindhu, every all these authors, Raghunath Das Goswami, Narutam Das, all of them always when they speak about bhakti, they speak in terms of giving or mm. bestowing. Isn't that isn't that uh, receiving for sure? No? Isn't that just semantics though? Not necessarily. I mean, if you go to interestingly, when you go to the Bengali and to the Sanskrit terms for I mean, these languages are very refined and specific. So if they want to say something, they have a term for that. And interestingly, when those terms, some of those terms are translated, sometimes they are wrongly translated. I will go to one point now, if you will. But, but actually, it's not only semantics. There are many, many sections. For example, of course, if I say Bhakti is not inherent, also the implication is Rasa is not inherent, Prem is not inherent, 
our Sita Deha, Bhakti Sarup is not inherent. In the Bhagavatam, you find this famous verse when Narad Muni is telling his own story. He says, Prayujamani Maitam. It begins the verse. Prayujamani means at the moment I received my spiritual body. And again, Sanskrit is very specific language. You cannot just miss one word for another. So he said, when I received my spiritual body. So it, again, the point is, it's not that Sita Deha is there and at some point comes. Or Prem, let's speak about Prem. There's a famous verse that is quoted as an argument to that, and I, I, and I address that controversy in my book. Famous verse from Chaitanya Charitamrita, Nitya Siddha Krishna Prem, is translated generally as love of Krishna is eternal is in the heart of all living entities and so on. But interestingly, if you analyze the, the, the original Bengali, in any, and it's not saying in the heart of all living entities anywhere. The verse is not saying that. It says, Nitya Sita, Krishna Pran. Krishna Pran is Nitya Sita. Nitya Sita means eternally established, or Sita can also mean eternally perfect. Or also Nitya Siddha can refer to the Nitya Siddhas, not to us. So Nitya Siddha Krishna Prem can mean Krishna Prem is eternally established, eternally perfect. It doesn't say where. <laughs> Sadhya Kavuna is not something to be attained. So I will say for properly understanding this verse, actually we get we need context because as I say, a text out of context becomes a pretext. So what's this verse about? Actually, this verse in Bengali from Chaitanya Charitamrita is the Bengali version of one verse written by Rupa Goswami in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, which describes Sadhana Bhakti. Kriti Satya Bhavi Satya Bhavasa Sadhana Abhida Nitya Siddhasya Bhavasya Prakatyam Hridisadhyata. It's a famous verse, which say, which Shila, Rupa Goswami mentions Sadhana bhakti means engaging the senses, so bhava bhakti manifests. But bhava bhakti is not a product of sadhana, but it descends of its own accord with the heart has been prepared by sadhana, if you will. The soil is ready. Right. So, so interestingly, this other verse of Chaitanya Tritamrita is Bengali version of that, so it must say the same thing. So the two verses have similar expression, mitya siddhasya bhavasya. Bhava is an eternal reality, eternally perfected reality. But it's not saying it's in the heart of every living being. But we may say, well, but it's not saying it's in somewhere else. So we can go to the commentary to that verse from Rupa Goswami, written by Jiva Goswami and Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur. And they say the appearance of Bhava, but not its creation, they say will be accomplished in the future by the special functions of the most excellent transformations of the Lord Swarup Shakti. So wow. Swarup Shakti means Sambit and San Anladini mostly. So he says, Sambit and Ladini will come. Someone may say, okay, but we have Swarup Shakti, Ladini, Sambit, Sandini is in our heart. But no, if you go to Jiva Goswami's um, Bhagavad Sandarbha and Krishna Sandarbha, there he quotes a verse from Vishnu Purana. In one time in one of these twice in these two books. And it verse says regarding Swarup Shakti, Twaieka, this energy, Swarup Shakti, only exists in Bhagavan inherently. And Jiva Goswami quotes Sridhar Swami further, and he says, Swarup Shakti is not present in the Jivas. And Swarup Shakti is another way of saying Bhakti. So mm -hmm. I'm 
quoting what Sridhar Swami says, which is so revered by Mahaprabhu, what Jiva Goswami says, which is the Tatuacharya of our Sampradaya, Sula Prabhupada says he's the topmost philosopher of the world. I'm not trying to share my own. My question now is like, okay, Bhakti, you're saying Bhakti is not inherent in the Jiva. That's cool. And I, I understand. Shastra is saying that. Shastra is saying that. Yeah, Shastra is saying Sorry, yeah. Shastra is saying that. But but why does it matter? Like, why does it matter to me? Yeah. That's a good point. Sometimes the question comes. Uh, why does it matter? Well, it's important because it, it has to do with properly understanding the object of our, the goal we want to attain, the object of our bhakti. For example, the object of our love is Krishna and a particular form of Krishna, Krishna Vrindavan, and, and to understand properly the, the ultimate place we want to go. For example, let's continue with, in this connection with the idea of Prem. And you say, okay, Prem is not inherent in the Jiva. Because why? Try to understand. If you say Prem is in your heart sleeping, let's say, because somehow you have to say something like that. How can Prem sleep? I will say to be using common sense also. Because we can quote Shastra, we have to use also common sense. How can Prem sleep? Prem is keeping Krishna awake in Vrindavan 24-7. The force of Prem, the force of Bhakti, keeps Krishna awake all day. He never sleeps almost. He goes to sleep. He seems to go to sleep and he sneaks away with the gopis. That's the Prem that is calling him. And he maintains him moving and dancing. Krishna is Brahman, the Absolute, but dancing. And that's why the form of Prem. So if, 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 if God himself almost is not sleeping by the strength of, of, of Prem, how that substance that is making the Absolute dance <laughs> may be sleeping in our heart. Or covered. Or covered, whatever. That's a point, important point. We say, okay, prem is covered. So prem is covered by what? By Maya? Because what's the idea if not? And we have to understand divine love, prem, is an aspect of Swarup Shakti. Yeah. So, and, and we say it's not present in the constitution of the Tatasha Shakti. Because if, if prem is in your constitution, you can never come under the influence of Maya. Because one of the influence, I mean, of the of the symptoms of prem. It's that overwhelms Krishna. So what to speak of doing away with Maya? It's, it's, it's as an afterthought that will happen. Prem is overwhelming Bhagavan. So for sure, will this will relinquish Maya. So if we have Prem, how come Prem can be covered by Maya? That's the idea. So Shakti again overwhelms Krishna. So what to speak of its power to dissipate Maya? So it, it makes it makes no sense even on, on a common sense level. And sometimes also the devotees have shared like analogies. For example, the seed analogy is like a seed. Yeah. We already have the seed. So the water comes, water is there, and the seed sprouts, and some particular form of love is there. But the point is, it's an analogy. We, we are not to prove Siddhanta through analogies. Analogy is only that, an analogy. An analogy may seek to explain something further, but that something has to be proven by Shastra. And the analogy may help to illustrate that, but you can establish Siddhanta through an analogy. And, and by the way, I can use the same analogy to prove the, the opposite idea. I can say, well, I don't know. I, I mean, the analogy in itself is faulty because if I say you have a seed of, I don't know, Sakyaras in your heart, let's say, and you just need the water of Sadhu Sangha, the analogy implies 
seeds are different and the rain is the same. But in, in our practical experience, sadhu sangha is not the same. There are different types of sadhu sangha, different sadhus with different affinities. So it's not the same water, if you will, of sadhu sangha watering the seed. But actually, it's, it's different. So I can say also the same. Our heart is like it's like the soil. Actually, I can turn the same analogy analogy in another direction. The heart is like the soil, and sadhu comes and gives the seed. And that's what Shastra said. You know this verse, I'm sure. Brahmanda Brahmiti Kona Jiva. How does it follow? Guru Krishna Prasadipai Bhakti Vata Beach. You say, I'm not saying that, you are saying that. <laughs> <laughs> what this verse is saying, after wandering in, in, the, in, the, in the universe for so much time, in brief, a fortunate Jiva receives Bhakti Lata Beach. Pi, the word pi there is receives the seed mm -hmm. of the bind of bhakti. I mean, it's crystal clear. I'm not again, I'm not making this up. So it's receiving a seed. How if, if, if the seed is already there, what's the meaning of this verse? You are receiving a seed by the mercy of Guru and Krishna. By Sangha, you receive the seed. It's not it's not that it's there, it's coming So that will be the summary. I, I don't want again to Sure. Uh, in summary, the Shastra is teaching that Tatasta Shakti, we as Shiva Shakti, have an inherent potential for bhakti, but not inherent bhakti. Right. It's a subtle difference, but it's an important one. So it's it's more a process of becoming and not so much uncovering. It's much a process of transforming and not so much of awakening, if you will. And one more idea, sorry. Sure. And, and, and there is full consensus that I want to make. Tattu Samambayat says Vedanta Sutra. In Shasta, there is full consensus in terms of, of Siddhanta, which are the ultimate conclusions. So if we find some controversy or difference of opinion here and there, it will be apparent and with some purpose, maybe. But it's not inherent in Shastra. Contradiction is not inherent in what's the, what's the benefit of saying that it, it, it's, um, it is inherent? Like, why did some of our acharyas say that it, that it, we're just uncovering it? Okay, so then we <laughs> we have to enter into a separate section of the discussion that is, of course, very important. It is why. Do you have any other points before we go into that, or no, are you okay I, to... I agree with your question. Yeah, on one okay. side, it's important. Okay, we establish what is said in Shastra, what is said in according to Gaudiya Siddhanta, but also, as you mentioned, some of our acharyas, especially contemporary ones, I could say from Bhaktivinotakur onwards, they seem to have said otherwise. So, as you say, what's the benefit of that? Or what's the reason for that? What's the yeah. for that? So how to harmonize that? Because again, that may sound controversial. <laughs> so, so before going to, to this point, and to our contemporary acharyas in connection to whether Bhakti is inherent or not, I will say that this, Differences of opinion are there from time immemorial, I will say. Now, Krishna himself, <laughs> let's go to the Gita. He says to, to Arjuna in the beginning, follow your dharma. Behave as a warrior, as a kshatriya. And at the end, at the conclusion of the Gita, he's saying, Sarva dharma paritya <laughs> Live all dharma. Of course, in between those two statements, there are almost 700 verses. <laughs> so it may seem contradictory, but actually they are complementary ideas if we consider the adhikar of who is receiving. So Arjuna is representing us along the Gita, 
progressing and, and increasing his adhikar, if you will. And Krishna himself and the Gita is saying <clears throat> that wise people should not disturb the minds of the attached by trying to inspire them to, to act from where they are. So that's an important consideration. So many examples we have. The Vedas promote karma kanda, seem to promote that above all, but the Bhagavatam says actually they are trying to take people to the higher realms gradually, like a, a boy, a father giving to his son medicine by giving some sweets, and the medicine is inside. All the whole Mahabharata is said in the Bhagavatam also. It's, I will say it's a whole Christian strategy full of <laughs> intrigue, romance, politics, but trying mm -hmm. to take us to the Bhagavad Gita. Or in the Bhagavatam, there are many quotes that seem to be promoting Advaita Vedanta in personalism, but they have to be understood properly. And Sukadev also was having different people in the audience apart from Parikshit Maharaj or Sridhar Swami's Bhagavatam commentary that Mahaprabhu embraced so much. So many sections of that commentary seem to be promoting Advaita Vad as well. Mahaprabhu himself accepted sannyas from, from someone who overtly seemed to be impersonalist, <laughs> Kesha Bharati. Mm -hmm. Mahadev, Mahadev Shiva, he's Vaishnavanam Jatasambhu, the most exalted Vaishnava, but he appeared as Sankaracharya and preached something which opposes. So, or Krishna himself, what to speak, <laughs> his God appearing as Buddha and, and denying God's existence. Try to imagine is God saying God does not exist, basically, or I don't know. So many cases. Narmuni with Balmiki, you know the famous example. He was a killer, and Narmuni yeah. said, "Recite this mantra, Mara." Mara, Mara, Mara. He ended up purifying himself to that such point. He wrote the whole Ramaya. Or yeah. Jiva Swami promoting Swakiya Bhopariki. So, so many things. So the point is, was that cheating? No, because you may say they were cheating us. Naramuni was cheating Balmiki or, or whoever. Yes and no, if you will. I mean, no, yes in, on a part level, but but no, in, in a deeper level, it was with some purpose in mind. Srila Prabhupada writes in, in, in one commentary, I think it's to Srimad Bhagavatam in the first canto, chapter 13, verse 37. And he mentions, because Vidura there, he mentions, I have been cheated by great souls. And, and, and Prabhupada says it is a fact, actually, he says, that great souls would cheat other people for a greater cause. And such cheating, he will say, is necessary for the great cause and there is no loss for any part in this, uh, what do you call, transcendental fraud. Fraud, you say in English? Fraud, yeah. <laughs> so he's... <laughs> So we have to, again, we have to really learn to think in another way to accommodate all these type of words. But there is place for that. The, the classical example is the mother and the child comes, three-year-old child asking the mother, how I was born, ma? And she has to technically lie to him and she, because it's too much for him to understand the whole process at that point. She will say, a stork put you in the chimney uh, and you came one day. And the child is in ecstasy hearing that reply. She finds this poetic <laughs> <laughs> And she knows eventually I will tell you the, the whole story, the bigger picture. So in, a, in an apparent way, she's cheating his child, but in a substantial way, she's doing what? She's protecting her baby by providing like a digestible version of some bigger, deeper truth, basically, that she expects him to eventually understand, but she realized it's not the moment yet. <laughs> no? Like Narad again with Balmikyo, with Rigari, also the hunter. So... Yeah. And, and we may call this preaching a strategy, if you will, outreach technique, whatever name you like to, to put, to give it. 
And I know this is not a very popular term, <laughs> and some people may have a problem with that. If I say there's some there's place for preaching a strategy, they may think, no, 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 the cheap preaching a strategy is only a cheap way of explaining things, or or people may feel I, I am being cheated if someone is giving a preaching strategy to me. I want the strain truth, but the question is how much you are ready to digest that, like, that, like the example of the child. Right. And there is place for preaching strategies, as we can see, along the whole Vedas, and, and a deep place for that. And, 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 and But we need to understand, so example, going back, sorry, to, to our particular topic, bhakti, whether being inherent or not, what our Acharya have said contemporary times, let's take bhakti Thakur, from whom the, the, the difference of opinion, apparent difference of opinion, began to come, not so much before him. To really understand why he say what he say, Oh, he said that he said he's the first one that stated that it's inherent. I'm I'm not fully sure if he's the first one. Absolutely, I've done some research, but he's the one that made that idea popular, if you will. Okay. But okay. I will so, say I will say that he also said the opposite as well in other sections. <laughs> so he didn't say only one thing, which is an important point to consider at all times. So further layer of harmonizing. <laughs> But to understand what, why an Acharya said what he said or she said, I think we need to travel in time and to understand the particular scenario in which he or she was and to be empathic enough and not just indulge in what nowadays is called historical presentism, which means I'm analyzing the past from the present moment. I'm trying to analyze what happened two centuries back, but without making the exercise of traveling back in time. So we need to do that because if not, we will just project our present sensibilities into that moment that was a whole different world, basically. <clears throat> so we are members of the Bhaktivinoda Parivar, as my Guru Maharaj will say, we are humbled by being proud members of the Bhaktivinoda Parivar, this lineage that is so, so incredible, so electrifying, if you will, so <laughs> dynamic, the Bhaktivinoda Parivar which is so much engaged in, in, in interaction with modernity and so on. So as being members of such a dynamic lineage, if you will, it's important that, yeah, there is place to adjust some statements in, 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 in interacting with modernity. I mean, if you read a book like, for example, Krishna Samhita from Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he's trying to, to create that bridge in so many ways. He's describing, for example, the Dasavatar in Darwinian terms, in, in like evolutionary terms, like different species going from one to another. He's clearly trying to create some connection. And there was a whole different culture. At that time in India, you know, India was India, but the British were there. So, uh, and, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur was, my Guru Mahesh will call the first Western convert, although he was born in India. Somehow he was educated as a British. Right. So he was approaching uh, a Western society, even in India, what to speak outside, with so much of Christian DNA and, and Abrahamic sensibilities, like the idea of falling from grace or the idea that everything is in the heart and it's only to be uncovered. And he was part of this Badralog. I, I won't go into detail here in the book. I tried to do that. But my point is he was facing a particular type of of, of audience and a scenario, what to speak then, Prabhupada, Bhaktisiddhanta, Saraswati, what to speak about then, Srila Prabhupada, traveling himself to the West, entering into a whole different 
constellation, I will say, whole different planetary system <laughs> with different psychology and different ways of life, different so many different things. So they had to adjust some details in their presentation to, and try to emphasize the most important things, understanding in time the other points will be properly understood by them. I mean, you cannot give everything in one single moment. Prabhupada was transplanting, if you will, Krishna consciousness to, to a new soil, unknown land. And, and he had to begin somewhere and he was adjusting so many things, as you know. He say, I don't know, chant 64 rounds and they would say, that's too much. <laughs> okay, right. 32, that's still too much. <laughs> okay, chant 16 and let's see how it works. No, he was like seeing how, how the audience responded. He was quite aware. Mm. They're just beginning with all this. So, so some complex details maybe were not fully developed at the time, but some of these acharyas. So I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt. I still have a, a difficulty in understanding why it's so important to under to understand if it's inherent or not. Like for example, if you're looking at it from the perspective of like, okay, Prabhupada came in the 60s and these hippies and you know they're you know they're hippies and, and Prabhupada's saying you just have to uncover it or or Bhaktivinoda Thakur saying you have to uncover it like why I, I I don't understand why it matters well I will say that in one sense for me to begin with it matters because it, it may not matter for everyone I'm not saying that every single sure. devotee must be totally concerned about this topic always right. in certain stages someone may not be even concerned and make right that's the key more. that's the key yeah yeah, I'm not trying to impose my, my presentation onto every single member of the Gaudiya community. But at some point, I mean, you will, you will to begin with, you will meet yourself. You will find these different opinions in Shastra and in, in, in what the Acharya says. So you oh, will do something with that to begin with. Right. No, you have to know the proper conclusions to, to harmonize whatever else is coming. Also, I will say the fact that Bhakti is not inherent further stresses how much dependent we are on grace, how much dependent we are on sadhusana, how much dependent we are in contact with, with bhakti coming to us in the form of, of the devotees. Because if it's not in here, it's, it doesn't mean, it, it means it's not in me. So I, I need the mercy, I need the contact with that because... Right, I mean, okay. So that, that helps, that's humbling, if you will. <laughs> Yeah. And, I, and very subtly, this may be all, all. This may be sometimes working on a subconscious level, but for some of us, the idea to feel I have everything is in me already. That may be something that is feeding our ego very subtly. We may not be aware. Right. Of it. Great everything point. Me, I just need to uncover. But if I, someone tells me, not everything is not, it's not in, inside of you, <laughs> and you need certain contact with certain agency. For you to receive that you are dependent on that's humbling but maybe we may not be willing to hear that also well when you put it like that but it's really important <laughs> it's really important again yeah, I know we can i can also yeah i can really understand what you're saying about if if we think it's with us already then kind of like okay it's an ego thing also can we can become lax like listen it's I, it's already there i just have to uncover it but when it's something that you have to like get from grace and it has to come to you then that's that's a different story i think exactly and again when you understand the nature of bhakti and of prem and how powerful that is you can no longer think in terms that can be covered by maya that can be sleeping 
because it's such a powerful energy. See, Krishna Karshini said Rupa Goswami is attracting the all attractive. So if you think otherwise, you may be misunderstanding Prem and you may be misunderstanding also Krishna and the spiritual world because all that yeah. works in the dynamics of Prem. So it's a way of having proper concepts in place. So we project our projection to our eternal prospect is is sober, is in place, if you will, it's accurate. Mm -hmm. and, and when you were talking about harmonizing with what contemporary acharyas say, like you're saying, Bhakti Vitakur said both things. And I think Srila yeah. Prabhupada also might have said both things. And like you showed me that intro that you had that day uh, of your book and of the different acharyas saying both things. Yeah. So is, is the explanation only what you said, preaching strategy? Well, that, that's important. That's a point, yeah. I mean, because again, one thing is, okay, Shastra is saying one thing and the Acharya is saying something else. But what if the Acharya is saying two different things? <laughs> so we need to harmonize that and to understand. They are establishing the Siddhanta. We won't go into this topic, but for example, Srila Prabhupada, we know he said, nobody falls from Vaikuntha. For example, that that may be for another episode. Another episode. That's going to be our next one, Maharaj. Yeah. And <laughs> other, we we are given the trailer here. <laughs> in the Bible, he said, "It is a fact that no one falls from Vaikuntha." That's stated there, very first line, seventh yeah. line of the Bible. But somehow, some other places, not in the Bible, in letters and works, he said, "You fell from Vaikuntha." So one of the two statements aligns with Siddhanta, another one not. So. The point is they are not contradicting. The, it's not that they do not know the Siddhanta because they are presenting it. No. So the question is why they are saying something else at some moment. So that's, that's when you have to do this exercise of analyzing which was the context, the situation, the audience, and, and, and the capacity, the adhikar they had. But they knew the Siddhanta. Again, they are not contradicting themselves in an absolute way. So they're... they're, they're employing all their genius, I would say. That's important point. When we say they employ preaching strategy, we are not relativizing those those acharyas. We are not speaking less of themselves. Actually, we are speaking high of themselves because for establishing a preaching strategy, you need insight, you need genius, you need realization, you need samadhi. I speak in those terms in my book. To Preaching strategy requires samadhi, like Vyasadev in the Bhagavatam entering into samadhi, seeing the condition of the jiva shakti, of the maya shakti, of the bhakti shakti separately from the jiva shakti. Again, another point, bhakti is not there in the jiva. I'm thinking how to help the jivas in that particular situation. And the Bhagavatam comes as a result of that. Similar example of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta. Before he started his whole preaching campaign, Gaudiya Mat, which, which was so much noble, so much innovation was there, so many adjustments in a great, incredible way he made. But before that, what did he do? He was chanting a billion names, which is about that you chant three lakhs per day for almost one decade. So my point is, he was so much immersed in bhajan, in samadhi, and the result of his realization came in the form of a preaching strategy. Because mm -hmm. there were so many elements of preaching strategy in the Gaudiya Math. Right. But the important point also is that every preaching strategy has, as my Guru Master would say, a shelf life. So it's not that every preaching strategy is eternal. <laughs> it has their moment. It's connected to a particular desha, kala, patritam, place and circumstance. And so that's the important thing, that we understand what's the Siddhanta, 
what's a preaching strategy separate the two and not try to force one thing or the other because if if I do not accept that my whatever Acharya established a preaching strategy and I try to present that strategy as his original Siddhanta, that's a that's a deviation actually. I, I'm not accepting or, or, or yeah, basically that's the idea. I mean, that's a disservice to the Sampradaya, basically. If I try to force some outreach technique as an absolute thing, some relative statement as an absolute statement, that's the service to the Sampradaya. So we should be careful not to absolutize. I don't know if that word exists at all, but I think you get the idea. Yeah. We should <laughs> absolutize whatever someone like Bhaktivinoda Thakur say to the point of dismissing the six Goswamis, let's say. You follow. Bhaktivinoda Thakur say Bhakti is inherent in one moment. So that overrides whatever the Goswami said. They said, no, it's not, that's more like that. But also we should not relativize Bhakti not Thakur to the point that to conclude he misread the Goswamis. He didn't mm -hmm. No, that's not the idea. No, because he, Bhakti not Thakur, to take him, he's known also as the seventh Goswami. So he's the seventh Goswami, he must be in relation to the first six. <laughs> you yeah. can't speak about the seven without the first six. He received this label from there. And the same idea applies to the rest of the Parampara. Bhakti not Thakur himself considered misunderstanding of Siddhanta as an anartha. He, he spoke about fourth and artist Bhajan Rahasya. He mentioned Tattva Brahma, to be bewildered about Tattva or Siddhanta as one anartha. And he faced him famously, interestingly, once he said that those who are who had been entrusted with the service of responsibility of being acharyas in the Gaudiya Sampradaya should try to remove all the anarthas from the Sampradaya. <laughs> wow. And Papa Siddhanta is one of those. And it's not only for the acharyas, for sure. All uh, Every healthy member of the Sampradaya should be willing to do so. So the idea for me, at least, how I try to harmonize that, of course, we can struggle with each other and fight with each other, saying what my guru said, but my guru said, that my guru said, and that has no end. <laughs> but the point is, what the founder acharyas of our Gaudiya Sampradaya say, what the Goswamis say, they are the systematizers of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. As you have, I don't know, Ramanujacharya, systematize the teachings of the Sri Sampradaya to the point that now the Sri Sampradaya is generally called Ramanuja Sampradaya. Simil similarly, the same happened with Madhvacharya and the Brahma Sampradaya. We have the Goswamis uh, and those who have systematized the Gaudiya Sampradaya, the teachings of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. They, they, they took, as my Guru Maharaj will say, the ecstasy of Mahaprabhu and they systematized that ecstasy, if you will through their books, making the, the volcanic experience of Mahaprabhu available through their writings. They are mm -hmm. trying to explain what Mahaprabhu is about. So that's parampara. That's parampara. We have to, to, to understand how to reach Siddhanta. Prabhupada himself said this many times in Chaitanya Charitamrita, I think he mentions that in the commentary, that the parampara system does not allow one to deviate from the commentaries of the previous acharyas. And of course, this goes back to our original again, the architects, the masterminds of the Sampradaya, the Goswamis. He said, We cannot defy our previous acharyas. So, I so, yeah, yeah, sorry. So, you're saying, so essentially, we have to look at what each acharya said in the context of the bigger picture, in the context of Shastra. Like, we can't make it, but there's also something to be said about what is commonly now practiced that, okay, 
like in ISKCON, in the context of ISKCON, because I'm an ISKCON member, that we follow what Srila Prabhupada said, and we don't, it's not that we don't want to see what other everyone else said, but we we have this kind of loyalty. That's what's said. We have this kind of loyalty to Prabhupada that whatever he said, whatever he wrote, whatever he said in the, the conversation, that's what I'm going to go by because he's the he's my guru or he's my guru's guru. Yeah, and I quoted what Prabhupada said some minutes ago. He says Shastra is the ultimate authority. So if you right. want to <laughs> to play if you will the game the Prabhupada said game if you will in one sense I mean there you have it now he said that of course he may have said something else as I mentioned he may have said you fall from Vaikuntha you don't fall from Vaikuntha I mean you cannot take the two of them at the same time you have to harmonize that and the yeah. two things were said by him so there, there you are to engage in a, in a deeper exercise which is what we are trying to speak here about so it's important to understand from back to Notakur onwards the movement was focusing to the West and trying to present that to modernity. In the time of the Goswamis, they were not concerned to, with adjustments according to reaching another world, but they were mostly establishing the Siddhanta for the Sampradaya. So there is where we find the, the ultimate conclusions that we are to follow. And whatever else that comes after has to be in line with that. And if it's not in line with that, it's, I'm not saying it's a deviation, <clears throat> but I'm saying it can be a deviation for sure. But it, it can be also preaching a strategy. So again, Bhakti Notakur never, for me, the idea is he never set foot in the West, but he wrote to people in the West, uh, unknown Vaishnava Westerners, I think, were, were in India during his time. India was quite Westernized. Bhakti Siddhanta but never went to the West he, he wanted, but he sent some of his disciples there, as you may know. And there, Srila Prabhupada, he went to the West. Uh, he went to visit this new world. And I will say that the, the, the commitment for future generations, his, the disciples of Prabhupada and disciples of his disciples and so on, is more connected to uh, investigate, if you will, in detail, what's the homeland of our tradition and, and understand its roots and better get a grasp of, of the unique DNA of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Uh, because some of them, like it or not, some of this sensibilities and ultimate conclusion may clash still with our Western DNA, Christian DNA, Abrahamic sensibilities of linear time, fall from grace, and so on. So in my book, I point this idea. Now, when presenting the truth, we can conclude the following in connection to this idea, yeah. hopefully trying to make some full circle. You can present the traditional Siddhanta as it was presented by the architects of our Sampradaya, the Goswamis, you can present uh, a development of that original Siddhanta that is not contradicting the original, that's, that can happen, that should happen, an evolutionary version of the original. Three, you can present a deviation from the Siddhanta that can happen, or you can present an outreach technique, preaching strategies will. And for me, I try to make this point in my book, I consider that greater acharyas like Bhaktino Thakur, or his predecessor presented an outreach technique. Why? Because <clears throat> some of their statements do not fully concur with the original Siddhanta or Sampradaya, as we mentioned. Their presentation in those statements, again, because they say the two things, in those statements, the presentation is not an evolution of the Siddhanta because it contradicts the original. And third, it's not a deviation <clears throat> uh, arising from ignorance of Siddhanta because at times, Bhakti Notagra and other of his followers 
presented the Siddhanta. Well, at other times they say otherwise. So that shows they knew the Siddhanta, but when they say something else, they have some idea in mind. So for me personally, okay, there was a preaching strategy, but nowadays in our particular times in the Gaudiya Sampradaya, I will say that the, the preaching strategy for the present moment is no more preaching strategy, <laughs> but try to know the Siddhanta, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Again, I, every outreach has a shelf life, but we need to know what's the ultimate conclusions given by the founder Acharyas, the Goswamis. And, and now I think the devotees along different generations are more more seasoned and more informed and more prepared, if you will, for that now. And even if someone tells me, because that will happen for sure, <laughs> I do not agree with what you say that this was a preaching strategy. In, in this contemporary church, no problem, but Siddhanta still is the same. I mean, the Siddhanta on this particular topic is the same, but it's not inherent in the Jiva as it was exposed by, again, our founder Acharya's original gurus in the Sampradaya, the Goswamis and the Bhagavad and the Gita and Mahabharata, as I have tried to share in my book. So I will, um, beyond this point, and let me conclude with this, and we can continue if you want, but. I will say that <laughs> on a, explicitly it seems that it's a matter, of course, I think like this, I think like that, my guru say this, my guru say that. But I will say that the main uh, difficulty for those who oppose, let's say, this theory or whatever, any other controversial topic, uh, it's not so much in this case whether bhakti is inherent or not. But the main difficulty uh, is that the idea of accepting that if, 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 it, if it is so, that will be implied that some of our acharyas who say something different, they maybe made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe they contradicted the founding acharyas, the Goswamis. So some inner conflict, in other words, some inner conflict will be experienced in themselves, even in, on a subconscious level, yeah. but as a result of some emotional denial, if you will, again, generally unconscious. And that will happen generally due to some weak faith. In some lack of adhikar, rather than through a thorough, impartial investigation of Siddhanta, which is more connected to, to a Madhyam. A Kanishta will be, again, as I mentioned, that's the main difference between Kanishta and Madhyam. As, as I can repeat that idea that it seems you like a lot, that <laughs> the Kanishta will see Shastra through the filter of their emotions, yeah. and the Madhyam will see their emotions through the filter of Shastra. So sometimes all this subconscious background will be this in present in te- topics like this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to ask you, you, you addressed it, but I was going to ask you, what is the, the, those who say that it is inherent, why do they, when there's so much uh, evidence of why it isn't, why do they continue to push the, like, what's the idea of supporting that other idea? And you answered it. I mean, it, it, it can be, uh, it can be a, a thing about that, you know, maybe that they, the Acharya said something that wasn't right or yeah, it uh, makes more sense that way, yeah. Yeah, it can be more than one thing. It's not necessarily everyone who thinks like that is because of this. And of course, personally, I wouldn't like to, to judge each every single case saying they say this because of that. <laughs> every case is right. right. And I try to share some possibilities in that connection. Right. And most of this in this line, yeah, like my guru says something different and I have full faith in my guru. And I, I, I agree, I don't want to disturb your faith in your guru, but what if the Goswami says something different? 
maybe now it's not a concern for you, but at some time, at some point, you have to harmonize that. So what should someone do in, in that case? Like if they if their guru says something different than Shastra? Mm. Well, that's what I'm trying to present here, that not necessarily is a deviation. Not, it doesn't mean that he or she doesn't know the Siddhanta, but <clears throat> it may mean that he's adjusting the presentation to the digestion capacity of the particular audience. And there's place for that. That's part of their compassion. That's part of their genius. It's not necessarily a deviation. So right. we should try to, to gradually be, be willing to, to go through that type of exercise, if you will. Right, right. That will become a necessity. That's my point. Maybe if we remain on the Kinesia platform for some time, it's okay. But at some point, we need to harmonize certain things that were not in need before. And if we do not do that, that may create real problems. I wanted to shift gears a little bit, Maharaj, and talk a little bit about your personal story. I know you got in contact with Krishna consciousness, um, not through ISKCON. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how that happened exactly and then more in recent times, how it's been? Yeah, another controversial issue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, personally, I, yeah, I, I, of course, I got in touch with Iskand in, in the form of devotees speaking to me in the streets and giving books, and, and I'm right. eternally grateful for that. But yeah, officially, I joined uh, originally Bhakti in this lifetime uh, in another mission, Gaudiya mission, founded by another disciple of, of Srila Prabhupada. And uh, I happened after some, that was again in 1999, so 22 years back or something. And I remained in that particular mission for, yeah, almost 20 years or a little less, if you will, 19, 18 years. I ended up having to take some distance from that, formal distance from that, which is a very, it was a very unexpected and interesting chapter in my life and trying to, uh, I would like to share some words in that connection regarding, yeah, how it was, I will divide that in three directions, you know, how, what was related to me through those that particular stage to the person who was my former guru and to the rest of the audience mm -hmm. uh, because all this is connected to myself of being re-receiving re mantras mm -hmm. from my guru Maharaj Shila Bhaktivedanta Maharaj and taking again some formal distance from my former guru so it's of course as you can imagine <laughs> the last thing that a disciple in things off at the time of being initiated is at that, at that at one point i will have to take a distance from my guru it's the last thing you could ever want to think about but that can happen and we know that happened in history so it's important to know uh, what to do it's not that i'm here to instruct you about what to do but just sharing my testimony hoping hoping that may help in something sure yeah so my former guru has some considerable uh, complications at one point or, or at one point many of them start to come into light I will say and interestingly I got to know about that while being some years back in Eka Chakra in the land of Nityananda Prabhu who is <laughs> the, the source of Guru Tattva in Baladeva so it's mm. very interesting because I was in the, the land of Guru Tattva and I received very overwhelming news concerning who was my Guru my Diksha Guru at the time so Guru Tattva. Guru Tattva in itself is, I will say, the most complex Tattva. 
and, and the most fundamental one. If you properly understand Guru Tattva, you have all success warranty. And if you misunderstand Guru Tattva, that may warranty exactly the opposite. <laughs> so it's a very crucial Tattva department to understand. So this all this situation invited me to go deeper into what's Guru Tattva. So and, and of course again you may join the you you joined the, the mission original the, the, I joined the mission of my guru originally with the idea of I will surrender myself fully here with on the strength of Krishna's flute call, let's say Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta will call this famous verse from the Gita Sarva Dharma Paritya abandon everything and come to me. He will call that the flute call of Krishna. Sarva Paritya come to me, if you will. Surrender everything and come to me. So I joined my I, I tried to surrender to my guru in that spirit, but we know that that's not always happens. Srila Prabhupada himself eventually left the mission he joined from his Guru Maharaj and he founded his own mission and so many things like did happen. So the point is Krishna plays his flute and you run after the flute and join the flute call. But sometimes Krishna may play the flute somewhere else. <laughs> the flute is not longer playing in that particular place and you feel the flute is no longer here. So now the flute is there. So you run there and when you reach there, Krishna is somewhere else. But we are to run after the the, the, the flute call basically that's the, that's the real spirit so sometimes in the spirit of following krishna's flute call we may have to leave the formal mission we may have joined originally we may have to even take distance from from who was once former guru so many things can happen in the way some some of those things may not happen at all to any of you no problem but well that can happen so in in those situations who were really uh, complex for sure it was not for me just pressing a button and everything was solved so much harmonizing and integration was to be done there i always remember one nice quote from Sheila Siddhar Maharaj said will say if i am sincere my guardian's eye is always vigilant upon my head so even though a particular figure representing the guru is no longer operating in my life my guardian's eye is there. So, and I, of course, I have to be sincere for, for having proper vision. So that gave me so much hope. And I was praying intensely, so many tears in between for sure, so much struggle. But, but I felt, okay, my guru figure is no longer there for a minute. But Krishna is my guru also. I mean, I don't, I may sound rhythmic here, but it's not the <laughs> Another episode, another episode. Yeah, we are already having like two, three more episodes with this. Okay. Right. So Krishna is the original guru. I mean, you read our Parampara. Who is the first guru in our Parampara? Krishna. Mm -hmm. So Krishna is the Samasti guru. We have, when you speak about guru, you have Samasti and Vyasti. Samasti is like the collective conglomerate guru, macrocosmic, and the microcosmic individual representative is the Vyasti. So if one representative fails, the original guru is still there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on one side it says Sakshakharit Bena Samastra Sastra. The Guru is God, but we can also say the opposite, if you will. God is my guru. Again, I don't want to sound abstract, <laughs> but ultimately guru is one. It's one and different. Of course, there is unity and diversity, but it's a kanda guru that is undivisible principle, if you will. So if one particular individual who is representing that that department <clears throat> is no longer active for whatever reason. It doesn't mean that that principle disappeared from my life altogether, but that I have to discover in which new way 
that Guru Tattoo principle is is expressing in my life. And so I have to have the trust Krishna will provide. My Guru Maharaj gave this example. We shared that yet these days in one lecture. <clears throat> As someone is selling computers, comes to my house and sells me one computer and I pay. Uh, but this the person say, the salesman say, I cannot give you the computer now. I have to show in other places, other houses. So that will come tomorrow to you. Okay, I trust. <laughs> but next day the computer doesn't come. Next day the computer doesn't come. So I will call the company and say, your salesman cheated me basically or failed, whatever, to my expectations. So the, the, the company will say, oh, so we will fix that immediately. And they will sell their best salesman with not only one computer, but two computers and some chocolate cookies and some extra things <laughs> to make up for the situation. So in the same way, if one representative of the agency fails, the whole agency will make up for that. Chaitya Guru, if we will, will take us to to, to another representative. Again, Guru is one and different. Chinta be the bit. So the internal Guru won't allow anyone to stop advancing on mm -hmm. the path of bhakti. And it, if you are a sincere seeker, and as you know, sincere sincerity is invincible. Mm -hmm. If you are a sincere seeker, you won't allow yourself that anything will stop you in your progress to your your, your goal. You won't go, you will want to progress. And even if for a moment you don't have the the complete answer to that, that delay is also inviting you to be more contemplative, more, more introspective. What's the real motivation mm. behind your, your search? For me, that was like this. Something was happening to my former guru, but me as a disciple, I'm being put to test here. Can, yeah. I, can I interject one second? Uh, yeah. To piggyback on that one point you made about the computer, I've also heard it described that, uh, for example, in a war, like you'll get injured and, and the medic who's in the who's in that battlefield, he'll try to like repair you. Mm -hmm. And then and then okay, he'll repair you, but but ultimately if you can't be fully repaired, like you have to go to the hospital and meet that the actual doctor who's gonna like fully, you know, do the cure you essentially. So yeah. just a similar example I've heard being given. Anyway, I don't wanna I don't wanna pause your 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 train of oh. thought here. Perfect, perfect. I totally agree. Yes, some gurus may play a role in our lives, and, and, and I'm grateful for whatever I receive from my former guru. I'm, I'm not just in denial of that. Right. But eventually, you may need some more accomplished, if you will, service, as you gave the analogy. And, 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 and yeah, Krishna and the whole parampara will make the arrangement for that. So again, yeah, for me as a disciple, it was like a, test i was feeling okay i have the perfect excuse here to bloop if you will <laughs> i can enter into victim consciousness and do whatever nonsense i want but no this is not the idea actually and, and this is kind of i felt like this is when the guru might leave this world like because it's the guru the guru may be in good standing but may pass away from our mortal vision it becomes invisible so for me at that moment it was like okay the guru representative became invisible for a moment in one sense uh but you know that the ultimate principle of Sri Guru keeps existing. It's in my life, even though I cannot see it. And that's why Sri Lhasa Maharaj once said, uh, when the Guru leaves this world, you will know who is a disciple and who is not a disciple. Because right. you will continue developing your relationship with him or her on an invisible level. And so right. on my side, I try to work from that, that part. Um, on the side of my former guru, personally, I don't feel he was falling from day one, if you will. Uh, and it was all hopes, but it was a gradual 
what Sula Samaras will call intoxication of Batsalia. Uh, because he gives this example, you may be a father and you may have very many children and your children say, daddy, you are the best dad of the world. You are my yeah. favorite. You may become, believe that to the point of thinking I'm the best. And I only want to hear that. I'm not hearing equals anymore. My friends, no, they will criticize me. They will, <laughs> I only want to hear I'm the best of the world. So you become intoxicated by overdose of batsali, if you will. <laughs> mm. And from that type of blindness, some pratishta, some attachment to the position, and, and some kamini comes, some falling into also inappropriate connection with the opposite sex. I mean, it can happen to anyone if you don't take care, basically. So uh, what to say? Personally, I will say that what most affected was not even that, but how he reacted to all that. There was not full acknowledgement of that, a full uh, attitude to try to make up for whatever came to be known. So that was really, I think, what I think affected most of the people that heard that. And he was an interesting person because I, I mean, as a disciple, many of us felt there's so much empowerment in this, in this person. But in time, I also was thinking, of course, there, there must be empowerment. And, and, and as a result of a practice, it can happen to all. But also, if you are a guru, you receive, a, I was thinking about that. It's a great lesson for me to learn. You receive a lot of empowerment from what you receive from others. You know, imagine you have thousands of disciples who love you, who pray for you, who are surrendered to you, who are giving you their whole time, energy, life. That's a whole current of energy coming to you as, their, as the object of that. And that's empowering you, basically. So, but actually it's not your empowerment, it's their empowerment on you. <laughs> so yeah. it's important that you as a guru figure, you remain aware. It's not me. I mean, they are sustaining me, they are empowering me. If you are not aware of that, if you don't know how to deal with that, that may be a problem. That's why Rupa Goswami say, you shouldn't have many disciples. Uh, or you should open many temples. And of course, once someone asked Bhaktisiddhanta Sarabhaitakur, but you have many disciples. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, that's a matter of personal capacity. What's many? What's few? For some, to have one disciple is a lot. For some others, to be a disciple is a lot. <laughs> so what to speak. So my point is, uh, yeah, you are receiving so much and you have to, un to understand my disciples are sustaining me. As a guru, I mean, the only way you can pass the test being a guru is, I, I, I do not think myself a guru. I am disciple of my Gurudev and I'm serving these this persons that come. I'm not accepting disciples. I'm accepting gurus. My guru is engaging me in further seva to him or her by appearing in the form of all these sisyas, all the students that they are committing me to serve them. So externally, yes, I act as a guru for them, but internally, I'm increasing my discipleship, if you will. Uh, uh, wow. so instead of accepting more disciples, I'm accepting more gurus. I'm, I am accepting my guru more and more if I have the proper, the proper perspective. Do, do you follow the idea, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I That's mean, if you, if you don't take that stance, you won't, I don't think mostly you won't pass the guru test, if you will, because so much is coming to you, so much energy, so much love, so much empowerment that you have mm. to deal with that in a, in a humbling way. So I think, yeah, reflecting back on that, those may be some of the problems connected to him. And also, interestingly, if you allow me, I would like to share some thoughts regarding the audience, how the other 
disciples or some of them, there were many reactions, of course, some people sure. would say, oh, if you guru, if your guru fell, it means you, he was never a guru, like too much black and white thought. And I don't think it has to be like that. You can be a Madhyam Bhakta and be a guru. Shastra proves that. And you may fall as a Madhyam Bhakta. You may be in a Shakti and fall from there. So that can happen. Or some people say, no, he was a cheater from day one. I don't feel like that. I feel I learned so many things, what to do, what not to do also. And I feel gratitude for that. And of course, I also see things that are not becoming. And in gratitude to what I received from him, I felt I will take, I take a distance from him in, in my service to his situation. The best thing I can do for him here is taking a distance. Or, or I don't know, some other people... So many currents came there. Some people saying like, okay, according to what you are looking for, you receive the guru you deserve. So basically they were telling me, if your guru, if your guru is a cheater, it means you want to be cheated or something. But I've heard is, that before, yeah. Yeah, but we do not reserve, receive what we deserve. I mean, we receive something that we do not deserve. We are speaking about costless mercy here. So, I mean, I was not looking for Braja Bhakti and Raga Nuga Bhaja. And I, that idea was not even in my mind. I didn't know what Krishna was about. And I received that. I was not looking for that. I was not deserving that. It was beyond what I deserved. It was unjust, if you will. <laughs> it was not yeah. just. It was mercy. <laughs> so basically that. But, but I will say that one of the things that most surprised me was that some people reacting with lots of hate. I'm wanting that person, my former guru, to suffer a lot and go to jail and go to the hellish planets and suffer life after life. What I felt, that's not correct because, uh, okay, the person may have to suffer because of a reaction to his previous misdeeds in the context of karma, but karma is not punishing. Karma is educating. Karma is uplifting the person. It has a well-wishing attitude. Even if it takes the form of chastisement, if you want to chastise a person only because that will help them to continue growing, but if you want them to suffer only for suffering's sake, that's cruelty. You follow. So I'm failing in being compassionate as a Vaishnava. To be compassionate doesn't mean to be full. Maybe the person needs some chastisement in the context of changing, getting better. Yeah. So because if not, I do not even understanding what karma is about. I mean, karma is constructive. So if I do not understand what karma is about, what to speak about mercy, which is a transgression of justice. I mean, you know how Krishna gave Putana Batsalya Bhav and, and she wanted to kill him. So that was totally, it seems like whimsical. She said, okay, I want to give you the total thing even you don't deserve it at all. <laughs> and we're going to say nothing to Krishna. We're going to say, hey, it was not just. Of course it was not just. It, it was mercy. So mercy is not just. Mercy is... There is no injustice, strictly speaking, in the world. I mean, mm. in the world we find karma, which is divine justice, perfect justice. And if you want to speak in terms of injustice, okay, let's speak of costless mercy. That's unjust. That's not just. Mm. <laughs> and we need that. But that we need that. That's the whole idea of mercy. Help me. There is one saying that says, help me when I deserve that the less, that's when I need it the most. Mm. That's the whole if we, if we fail in that and we just want the other to suffer for suffering's sake, we are failing in being kripalu, the devotee should be merciful. And we are promoting dual mentality, victim consciousness, basically, which is the, the, the opposite of Krishna consciousness, I will say, where you deny personal responsibility. So, of course, I suffered 
And there's this, yesterday we shared the quote, we all suffer, but to be a victim is a choice. So I, I suffer in this situation, but I, I have the choice of what, do I want to be a victim <laughs> or do I want to take this situation an opportunity to grow? So of course, I'm not interested in being a victim, but I want to become responsible of how do I choose what I choose. I always remember, and with this, I'm just closing my idea. Uh, Victor Frankl, he wrote a very nice book, Man in Search of Meaning. Uh, and he, he was a prisoner in, in Auschwitz, concentration camp. You can imagine that was a real test. <laughs> and he survived that by finding purpose and meaning. So he say a man can be deprived of everything, but still he retains the possibility of giving meaning to whatever is happening to him or her. Mm -hmm. Of course, for us, it's not so much about creating meaning, but there is already some inherent meaning what's happening and trying to discover that. So that's how I try to deal with the situation. Uh, of course, the scriptures on one side say, if your guru behaves in this in this way, you should immediately abandon him or her. But also other parts of the scripture, Krishna Bhajanamrita, Sulasya say, if your guru is deviated, you should wait for a minute to see how if she, he or she changes, you should advise him. You should try to advise him, please, Guru Maharaj, go back to the proper path. I did that in my case. That was a weird thing. I, I never imagined having to say that when I tried. So I wait. I wait for a time after doing that. But when I saw that there was no too much change in that connection, well, I officially decided to re-receive, if you will, mantras from someone who was for me my guru figure even for a decade, actually, Srila Bhaktivedanta Purari Maharaj at that time was my Siksha guru for a decade or so. And actually, I, I consider him my, at that time, my most prominent guru figure, even though he was my Siksha guru. That can happen. I mean, someone once asked Srila Siddhar Maharaj, who is more important, Diksha guru or Siksha guru? And Srila Siddhar Maharaj say, the one who helps you the most. Hmm. Because again, it's not a competition party. Who wins? <laughs> All yeah. of them are serving the same cause. So that's how I eventually uh, re-received the mantra from him. And well, today I find myself trying to, to surrender in his service, trying to support also, of course, other devotees who are in their transition period, ex-god brothers of mine, if you will, god sisters. And well, of course, speaking in this, in this podcast is part of such an attempt of serving my Gurudev, serving the Gaudiya community, and my gratitude for your invitation, basically. Yes, we're not done, Maharaj. Hold on. Uh, I have a few questions uh, regarding. Uh, okay. I find first point is that I I find it really refreshing that when you said how um, one way to react to it was hate or to try to tear the person down, and, and that oh they never helped me and like that. And the way you took it was really like it just shows your your the, your Vaishnava qualities of how okay. You know, I, I don't have any bad feeling, but a question according to that point is that we see the guru as you know Shakshad Haritvena Samasasasra. It says, now now when you when you have invested so much of yourself and your feelings and your intel, intelligence and everything into someone, and that's that someone kind of sort of fails you. I mean, it doesn't even have to do with a guru figure. Like we can we can use this as even in our in our any any part any relationship in life even when you when you went to another guru didn't didn't your faith in guru 
in kind of in reinvesting that energy into someone else, wasn't that kind of like fractured? I mean, for me, it would probably, or, or anyone, it would, it, it might be like that because you're just like, as I said, you've invested everything and surrendered everything. Yeah. Yeah, I totally understand your point and, and I agree with your idea. I had the fortune, as I mentioned, of having Shilatri uh, Purari Maharaj as my main guru figure for a decade. So okay. for me, that situation was different okay. from other of the devotees who only had this other person as their main reference point, and suddenly that was not there. So yeah. there was like a limbo, like the, the, the floor was out of them, and they were like, what to do now? In my case, I had this, my main guru figure was my Siksha Guru Dev. At that time, Shilatipurai Maharaj, now my Diksha Guru Dev. But I understand that for most of those who, yeah, as you say, investing their whole life from tip to toe in one single direction, suddenly that's not working anymore. And they, they know, they feel they need, and even they know we should continue and so on. But it's a whole process to trust again. Yeah. The same way, with the same intensity. I'm not saying it's an easy task, but I will I wouldn't say it's impossible either. So again, at that moment we are being put to test as disciples. The the other person with the problem for sure is being put to test, <clears throat> but we should concentrate, okay, where are I being put to test here? How I can deal with this problem? Because again, the guru is still there. If you have understanding of Guru Tato, you understand the personality. The soul, but the principle of Guru Tattva remains existent, dynamic, and it will, the flute will sound somewhere else. Again, it's easier said than done, I know. <laughs> and mm-hmm. for some devotees, that may take years of recovering and processing. And, or, I don't know, I like Krishna, but I do not speak about gurus anymore. That happens. So many possibilities are there. And of course, you have to respect that. You are not trying just to impose. The Siddhanta is this, you have to re-accept the guru, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Everyone is in their own process. And, and, and we are, at least personally, I try to accompany them as, as much as I can. So, yeah, it's wow. a complex stage. It's not, a, it's not a joke. And every single case is so unique. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about being sincere and, and right. continue growing. Yeah. So, so the comment section here is... Um, it's been going, but I haven't been looking at it so much because I really want to pay attention to what you were saying. Uh, but let's look at some um, questions here. I'm concerned that loving one's guru despite their imperfections can be applied to gurus whose imperfections prove they're not qualified to guide disciples. Any comments? Very, very good question. Yeah. Yes, for sure. When I, of course, we were speaking in. <clears throat> in a general in a general way, not entering into, into specifics and details. And when I said loving the guru despite their imperfections, of course, I was not referring to <clears throat> to certain, let's say, delicate imperfections that really are not uh, are are basically showing that that person is not in the position to be a guru. Now, I was speaking mostly in terms of certain details, more than principles, if you will. So. If, if a guru is mistaken in, in, in details, it's not speaking about their standing, if you will, in, in Guru Tattva. Mm-hmm. Let's say, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever, whatever the case. Famous example, once Shila Siddhar Maharaj uh, was in, installing some deities, and Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta came later, and Shila Siddhar Maharaj was not famous for being expert in ritualistic performance and knowing all the technical details, but he was known as being a fully surrendered devotee. So, 
one devotee asked Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, uh, <clears throat> was the is the deity present? Because Sula Siddhar Maharaj made this, uh, someone made the installation, but didn't follow the whole procedure. And Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta didn't ask which was the failing in the procedure. He asked who was the person. <laughs> and they say, Sula Siddhar Maharaj, say, whatever a surrendered soul does is perfect. So, wow. so I was referring to those details. There may be some imperfection and, and we should, of course, that's not a, an excuse to, to be blind to other imperfections that sometimes, unfortunately, may come in some <clears throat> guru representatives that have to be seen, have to be acknowledged as I personally had to deal with and take the proper stance to that, of course. That, that's another important thing for sure. And it will mm -hmm. take different forms according to each situation. Yeah. I, I'm not going to address the really technical questions. Um, Maharaj will be able to address those uh, on Facebook or via private message. I'm going to, after we're done, I'm going to put his contact information so whoever has some real technical questions. But um, how is the controversy expressed in the different Gaudiya Sanghas? In other words, what are the beliefs that are preached mm. that are based on the idea that bhakti is inherent in the jiva? I think we addressed that. Yeah. Yeah, we did address that. Because uh, these questions are coming from the time when we were discussing this. So uh, let's see here. If anyone has any other questions, please put them in the comments now. I'm um, just going through them here. Um, some are really long as well. Anyway, a lot of a lot of uh, appreciation for Maharaj and and what he's saying. Um, okay, here's here's something. This is an interesting one. Who says the six Goswamis are the architects of the Sampradaya? Some people say A.C. Bhakti Swami is the founder of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. <laughs> <laughs> Be well, careful what you say, Maharaj. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if someone says that someone like Srila Prabhupada is the founder of the Gaudiya Sampradaya, the question is, so what was the Sampradaya before Srila Prabhupada? I mean, it was some, right. what was that? Now, I, and again, by saying this, I'm not downplaying what Srila Prabhupada did, which was like totally out of this world. I mean, without yeah. parallel. But again, in the name of glorifying the Guru, we may over glorify the Guru also sometimes to the point of saying Prabhupada opened his own Sampradaya and and that won't be pleasing to him. That's my point. I mean, we, we have to know how to glorify the guru. If I say my guru is so incredible that there no, there's no more need of any gurus, that's not proper glorification of the guru. That's over-glorification. So regarding the Goswamis being the architects of the Sampradaya, of course, this is a particular expression that my guru Maharaj uses, but actually it's beyond what he said. I mean, this has been stated along the, the different generations that came even after the Goswamis to begin with Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami who wrote the Chaitanya Charitamrita who is basically the final word about Mahaprabhu and which is deeply based on what Rupa Goswami said in his book what Jiva Goswami there he glorifies the Sandharvas of Jiva Goswami like the like nothing Rupa Goswami so on one side you have that emphasis then the poetry of Narottam Das Thakur you have that emphasis referring constantly to the Goswamis. In Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, he in the Raghavarma Chandrika refers to the Bhagavatam as the ultimate scriptural authority. And immediately he says, 
Bhaktirasamrita Sindhua and books like that of the Goswamis. So in that sense, we can see, and also, of course, by studying the systematic presentation of books like Bhaktirasamrita Sindhu, Satsandarvas, Brihad Bhagavatamrita, you really see they are giving shape to the whole theology of the Sampradaya, because at the beginning, it was basically Mahaprabhu being volcanic eruption, basically, like Sila Samaras will call volcan volcan golden volcano of divine love. So Agurmas is like a waterfall. How to approach a waterfall? That's scary. So the Goswamis made a lake from that waterfall through their books. They make some soft institutionalization of the Sampradaya by writing their books and giving shape to all that Mahaprabhu was about. I mean, if you study the books of the Goswamis, to begin with Bhaktira Samrita Sindhu Satsandarva, there is such a systematic establishing of what Gaudiya Vedanta is about. I mean, there's no way of doing away with that. But we have to go through that study that Prabhupada himself said, please study the books of the Goswamis, please study the, the ancient commentators and so on. Um, there's not any more questions that I feel we can address at, at the moment. There is a lot of technical questions, but I wanted to just give you a little moment to um, say some concluding words. And also want to say, um, we're going to have Maharaj on again. I want him to be a regular guest to discuss these different controversies. We're at part one. We can have part two, three, four, five, six. I, I personally am getting so much from this conversation, so I'm being a little bit selfish in that way to keep continue to bring you on. But but I also wanted to ask you, when is the book going to be uh, done? Mm, that's a good question. I also am asking the same. <laughs> But my guru, Maharaj, you know, I mentioned my guru Maharaj is editing that, so of course yeah. he's also working on his own forthcoming book. So, oh, quite wow. busy, so I'm really not sure when that may be ready. And after his editing, we will do some proofreading and layout. So I I, I couldn't have a, a date. Hopefully this year, or maybe next year. I cannot tell. But if someone is interested, of course we will be sharing the news eventually, or they can also contact me in some of the different social media places i am and i can eventually share the news about that because there will be some page for announcing the book and so on so but hopefully soon okay bhakti rasa mother says namras here's a question i actually can't see the thread i can only see comment 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 you know like there's actually like uh, a comment and there's a reply to that comment so i think you're making a reply to that comment and i can't see it so um okay here's a question uh, from Jonavi. Does Maharaj see hope for the future in more unity and diversity among the various Gaudiya Sanghas and Mats? Please elaborate. Very good question. Yeah, well, the, the elaboration will be a different episode altogether, but thanks, Jonavi, for the question. And of course, yes, it's, I mean, if I'm here today speaking with, with Nam Ras and all of you about this topic, it's because I have hope in that. No, I'm not just here trying to show I'm right and this is the ultimate conclusion and so on, but to yeah. promote dialogue and, and because I know there is place for dialogue, as I mentioned, the, the beginning of the idea for speaking about this was myself speaking with devotees like Kul Pradeep and Vasudev and other devotees from other missions that that we are starting, we are, I mean, starting to get to know each other and we really feel the necessity of, of dialogue and communication and with this doesn't mean you have to join my mission and take shelter in my guru or nothing like this but to yeah. retain retain the beauty of God, all that Gaudiya Vedanta is about which means unity and diversity the two components are crucial to each other like they say diversity is the spice of life 
But if you put too much spice into the meal, that will ruin the whole thing. So you need also unity. But all, all, if all of us think the same thing, it's boring. And if all of us that have different opinions in everything, that's too conflicting. So we need some some balance. And I have hope. I really have felt, I had some, Krishna gave me some glimpses of, of many devotees, newer generations who are really open to to know more, to, to learn more, to, to not repeat certain uh, mistakes from the past. And with this, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying that that's sure. how life works. We have to learn from the past. and We have to be grateful for those mistakes from the past so we cannot repeat them in the present, so we can engage in higher mistakes, if you will. <laughs> that's <laughs> what it's about. It's a good, good way to put it. So, so yeah, see, I, I see, I really see hope because if, if I wouldn't see hope for me, that would be really discouraging. I, I'm not a person who, who is just about my guru and my mission and that's all because there is a whole Gaudiya, again, family and we are to live together yeah. somehow or other in the ultimate destiny we are projecting to. It's not that there will be have the ISKCON and Gaudiya Mat and this mission and that mission. I mean, we will... We may be in different corners of the street, but we will be meeting each other in service for eternity. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think point. it's nice that to, at least we begin by by having dialogue, by speaking, by opening ourselves to to hear each other. Hear sure. each other is a really important thing. Shravan. It all begins yeah. with Shravan. Shravan, then Kirtan, Shravan. So. so here's a question that um, that uh, Bhakti Rasa Mataji was referring to. Gurunishta Prabhu helped out. Thank you for that. Interesting. Before you said a proper Madhyama approach would be to not disregard two opposite perspectives, but to see how to both harmonize. But then when speaking about Srila Prabhupada's dual take on the fall of Vaikuntha, we fell from nobody falls from. You said both statements cannot be truth. By the way, I love you, Maharaj. Been loving this exchange a lot. This is from uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur Das. No, from Guru Nista says there. Uh, no, but he's he copied and pasted it from Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur Das. Okay, nice. My pronoun to Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur I love you too. <laughs> of course, uh, when I say to harmonize, harmonize doesn't mean to be mediocre or sentimental and say, well, everything goes and everything is the same. You pick the one you like the most. But I mean, like the example you gave, okay, Prabhupada say we fall, we don't, we do not fall. Of course, those two cannot be the Siddhanta. One is the Siddhanta. But it doesn't mean that I'm rejecting the other thing totally as a deviation. That's my point when I mentioned try to integrate the two. I will think why he said the other thing. Because he says the correct thing, if you will, the Siddhanta. But he said the opposite. With this topic or any other topic, and this is not limited to Srila Prabhupada as we have been speaking. So my point is, a Madhyam perspective is integrating, doesn't mean two things are the Siddhanta. One thing is Siddhanta, and the other thing is something else. And I have to figure it out what that something else is. And, and, and I'm presenting this possibility as an outreach technique, and I'm doing my exercise of trying to travel in time and understand why he said that. And in that way, I'm integrating that. It's not that I'm totally dismissing that as a deviation or opposition or whatever, but there is a place for that. There is valid place for that. And I am appreciating that thing, which is not Siddhanta, <laughs> but it has a role to gradually take some people to Siddhanta. I actually wrote a chapter in my book called How to Reach Siddhanta Even Through Upper Siddhanta. <laughs> 
because sometimes Acharyas know the Siddhanta but will use Upa Siddhanta as a hook, as a bait to take some people gradually from where they are to the ultimate proper conclusion. So wow. more details you have to, to read the book eventually. <laughs> mm. Another comment from Janavi. Once I asked a senior devotee if there might be an annual festival of Kirtan that brings together all Gaudiya groups uh, to unite and chant the holy name. They were discouraging and said that it would be too inflammatory or damaging to people who are young and easily influenced. This didn't sit well with me. This, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> me either. Yeah, of course that can happen, but that shouldn't happen. And of course, there's risk for that to happen. But also, I think sometimes we should take the risk, if you will, because not taking the risk creates another types of risk. <laughs> when we become too close minded, narrow minded, and we lose the the beautiful experience of getting along with other Gaudias who has another moods and another yeah. influences, and and that's really embellishing and, and adds to the whole equation. And, and of course, there are some devotees who, yeah, let's be part. I will be in that Kirtan festival for sure. <laughs> but the problem is when, yes, yeah, some devotees are not mature enough. And I don't know if I'm being invited to, to a program, like I was invited recently by, by some Prabhupada disciples and he has to one program to preach to his disciples. And of course, I won't go there and try to disturb their faith or try to impose my ideas, but I will be sensitive enough of, knowing their situation and trying to nourish their faith on that. So the problem is when when these things are not in place and different members of the communities are, again, still fanatics. That's mostly has to do with narrow-mindedness and a lack of capacity of of dealing with difference. And so at least there should be, this type of events should be organized by mature people, Madhyam, progressive Vaishnavs who have established certain like rules if you will <laughs> for the meeting about respect and appreciation and place for diversity and willingness to nourish from that which is different but is good at the same time and if something like conf some conflict appear in the way because of some lack of maturity there has to be some mature devotees there to know how to solve that and invite devotees to see yeah. the picture if you will yeah a good point uh pranada mataji makes it's damaging to the whole world that Gaudi Vaishnavism is split the way it is. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah, of course it doesn't only happen in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it happens in different traditions around the world and it right. speaks more about the, con the mentality of the conditioned soul, basically. Yeah, duality, and friends and enemies, and us and them, and blah, blah, blah. So, but yeah, we as Gaudiya Vaishnavs are to work in our own circle if we will before yeah. trying to change the whole world <laughs> before trying to convince the whole world about chanting Harinam first of all we have to be given a nice example of ourselves that's the most powerful prachar as I always say prachar includes the word achar in itself achar mm -hmm. means how we behave and pra means a very special type of so pra achar means a very special type of behavior yes. and that would be the main prachar the main preaching is how you walk the talk basically that's right. louder, louder than that right um another point is that actually this is happening in upstate new york uh some disciples of Srila narayan maharaj led by rasik mohan prabhu who is a dear friend of mine who a second generation devotee who lived in Rindal for 15 years he they moved to new york upstate new york and they bought a, a huge piece of land and actually next month 
he was uh, he was talking to me at New York Pratyatri. He's telling me that he's actually planning such a thing. He's going to bring all kinds of devotees from all different uh, Gaudiya groups to come to do a kirtan festival there up at uh, Bhaktabandav in in Ellenville, New York. So we'll see that announcement coming soon. I hope. Uh, I hope I didn't uh, prematurely announce that. But uh, anyways, that's it's going to happen. Um, Maharaj also wanted to. Um, what else did I want to say was, um, oh, any any concluding words? Because we should probably end here, although I would like to sit with you for the next uh, three hours and, and entertain questions and talk as much as we can. But uh, some concluding words, Maharaj, to kind of like put a bow on it all. Well, to, to be honest, I, again, going back to the original title of our meeting, Vaishnava Controversies, my, my being here is not about here trying to agitate minds or disturb faith, but to understand that for our faith, to, there is place, let's say, for doubt, for our faith to grow. There is space for controversy, for us to reach a clearer picture of reality. And again, if we don't feel urged to do so, okay, do not force yourself, but try to understand that at some point of our progress, it's important to, to, to develop this nuanced, mentality trying to approach Vaishnav. This goes beyond Bhakti being current or not, Jiva falling from Golok or not. This, this applies to every single second in our dealings, in our relationship with the Vaishnav. So yeah, I, I will I will try just to beg all of you with hopefully some humility in, in service of all of you. Let's try to try to get together more and more, all of us, not in a sentimental way, not in a with some separate interest in between, some separate agenda but trying to, to get to the root of that what makes us members of this wonderful Gaudiya Sampradaya. From there, embracing that diversity, embracing that unity, we can really celebrate, basically. And, and I will say that's the most powerful way of spreading the message of Sriman Mahaprabhu and our Parampara and Acharya. So, and thank you again, Namrask, for giving me, not only giving me the opportunity, but giving so many beautiful Vaishnavs that you are inviting always to trying to make their contribution in this in this same line for me it's, it's very much in this line so I that's why I felt so much inspired to be part of this whole system. Thank, Thank you so much Maharaj. It's it's uh you've really you've really in the past few weeks that I've known you you've really made a deep impact on me and uh I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how our relationship develops and uh I'm I'm hankering to see you again and have your sadhu sangha. Uh, I also wanted to say Maharaj has a great YouTube channel. Let's take a look at it actually, because I have this great facility to share my screen. Um, look, this is uh, whoever wants to check out Maharaj's YouTube channel, they can find it here. Swami BP Padmanabha is the name of the, the channel. There's some wonderful uh, playlists of lectures that he's given. Everything that every lecture that he gives actually goes up here. So, what I've been listening to recently, I just want to make a little personal here Vaishnav Etiquette. This is a fantastic. Uh, a, a fantastic a series of, of, of classes on Vaishnava etiquette. Although only in the second uh, episode, uh, not episode, but the second video, it's been really wonderful. And I urge everyone to go check that out um, if you want to uh, hear more from Maharaj. Also, he's on all other social medias um, as Swami B.P. Padmanabha. And if you want to get in contact with him, he's on Messenger uh, mm. and, and you could contact him there for further discussion. Um, I, I don't want to stop this episode, Maharaj. I really don't. This is uh, it's been really fantastic. But um, thank you everyone for listening. If you love this episode, 
please share it. Please share it on Facebook. Uh, it's also on YouTube. Please tell your friends about it. Please like the channel. And Maharaj, please stay online. I'm going to turn off the live. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Hare Krishna, have a great rest of your evening. Hare Bol. Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare.